Good evening. This lecture, Bezrat Hashem, will be Lerfuat Aliza Malka Batlea, also for Refuat Terra Bat Ruth, also Refuat Rachel Nomi Bat Esther Hana, she's in a hard condition, 33 years old, Corona. Bezrat Hashem, she'll have Refuat Shlema. Refuat Antonio. Garcia, also Corona. Lots of people have Corona, unfortunately, just the last few days. And Lehavdil, Leilui Nishmat, Sofia, Sonia, Batsara. And Lehavdil, Mazal Tov Leezra, Faiziev, is getting married now, Baruch Hashem. And also Lezivug, to find a good soulmate. במהרה הפס, שמעון בן ג'ינה וולדמן, בעזרת השם. Also, רפואה שלמה ליוכבת בת רחל. טוב, ברוך השם, ארגומנטס אבאוט קורונה, וקסין, פיוטר אוף דה וורלד, איז גויינג און 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 און, פיפל אר אובססט ודאט. Uh, no matter how many times you explain to people that once the big rabbis of the generation, they ruled the biggest, that people that, you know, should take the vaccine, people continue with their nonsense. In Parashat Shoftim, I mentioned it in my radio show when I spoke. I gave them the source. In Parashat Shoftim, judges, Parashat Shoftim, it's written... It's in Deuteronomy. It's written that if you have a question in every generation to come in the future, and you would come to ask the big rabbis of that generation, the ones that will be in charge in your places, and you will ask them what to do. We're talking about the biggest, not just a local ordinary chacham. Chachamim like this you have everywhere. We're talking... Big question, you have to ask some big posek or one of the gedolei ador, or all of them. Uvata el ha-kohen ve-ladayan asher b'irchav, narashta mehem, kol asher yomru lecha tishma bekolam. Everything they will tell you, you must listen to them. Lo tasur mikol asher yomru lecha yamin u-small. Do not move to the right or to the left, even an inch from what they tell you. And right after that, many people don't know. Some people know about this verse in the Torah. You must listen to the Chachamim. You don't listen to the Chachamim, it's exactly like you don't listen to me, because I told you to listen to the Chachamim. So you don't listen to them, that means you're going against me. You don't have problem with them. They will be perfect with or without you. I don't need you. To listen, not to listen. You think they care who you are? The problem is you have with me. And right after that it says that someone that would not listen to the Chachamim should be put to death. Should clean the negative out of the nation of Israel. And I can tell you that thousands of people, among them, many of them are my Baal Tshuva. That according to this verse in the Torah, they are playing with their life. 
and their afterlife. Some of them already lost their olam as we spoke about it last time, last Monday. Because by writing negative comments against Chachamim, that they don't know what they're doing, and they were misled, and they didn't get all the information, making them look like they're some dumb fools that they have no idea what they rule when it comes to life and death of, of millions of people, is the biggest disrespect that a person can ever do to a Chacham. By questioning him, meaning, oh, he's, he's some kind of, a, in Hebrew it's called kaldat, lightheaded. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Yes, he's 95, he's learning Torah 85 years straight, non-stop, 20 hours a day. But he's some kind of, a, you know, naive. People can tell him stories and in five minutes he decides. But if I will come, I will really convince him otherwise. That's, first of all, it's pure stupidity. Second, it's ego. There's nothing else. Ego, pure ego. Everybody thinks he's some kind of a god or something. And people will deal with the consequences of the of their words, of what they type, unfortunately. I said, if inside your mind you are convinced otherwise, at least be smart, be, be, be quiet, don't talk. You don't have to tell the whole world that you disagree with Rav Chaim Kanievsky or with Rav Yitzchak Yosef or Rav Shalom Cohen or Rav Mazuz or Rav Gershon Adelstein or Rav Sternbach or Rav Zilberstein, the top seven rabbis in the whole world. All say to take vaccine. You disagree with them? You think you're some kind of a big shot? At least be quiet. Don't talk. You're afraid? Don't go and take. You don't want to listen to the Chachamim? You'll deal with Hashem. But why you convince thousands of others to follow you against the chief rabbis of the world? And in the end, you will be responsible for every person that will die because he was afraid to take the vaccine. He, Hashem is going to hold you guilty for that. And what happens if it will be the other way around? If I come now and I tell you everybody must take the vaccine. You're older than 50, you have sicknesses, run and get the vaccine. Just today alone... Four women, pregnant women, are fighting for their life. One baby already died today in Israel. Four of them fighting for their life. Actually, it's eight. But four of them in critical condition. I don't even know if they are alive. That was in the morning. Just today alone in Israel. Israel is the size of Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan. It's not the United States. Yeah? So if you have eight women, pregnant women with babies, right now fighting for their life, and they're all corona, maybe some of them did not take the vaccine because of these fools who they think they run the world. Now you may ask, but wait a minute. Is it possible that the big rabbis made a mistake? Everything is possible. Moshe Rabbeinu made a mistake? Yes, the Torah say it. Nathan the prophet made a mistake? Yes, the Torah say it. David Amelech made a mistake? Yes, the Torah say that, spoke about it. Many of the biggest rabbis in the world made mistakes? They did. But when the Torah told you, you must listen to the Chachamim, you are clean in Jamaim. What comes out of it is not in your hand already. That's what Hashem wanted you to hear. So therefore, after that, you are 100% dismissed. You clean. Why did you do that? That's what the Chachamim say to do. It's not, the rest is not in my hand. This is what the Torah say to do. Okay? And there's no but... No, but Rabbi, but listen to this, or watch this, or this, or that. Forget about it. It's not relevant. Once 
the biggest seven, I, I can give you 50, but seven, I gave you top seven names today, Faradim and Ashkenazim, and the uh, Rebbe Mibels, the Admor Mibels, and uh, the Rebbe from New Square. It's also big rabbis. So if, if the biggest poskim, you see, there's one thing between being a holy tzaddik or being a Rebbe, Rebbe of a community like this Admor or this Admor, and there's a different things of being a posek, Talmid Chacham posek, that rule what to do for the entire world. Like there used to be Rav Eliashiv, Rav Ozner, Rav Ovadia, Rav Ben Zion. Those are big poskim, poske alachot, that all their life specialize in ruling questions of life and death. All their life. It's a, it's a matter of days. Sometimes in one day they have to rule about the life of many, many people. And they've been doing it for a long, long, long time. Like I explained last week, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not going to put millions to die as results of this big holy Talmidei Chachamim who gave their life for the Torah. That's the final. And if Hashem will do such thing, that means that we all deserve to get the punishment. That's it. So deal with that. That's it. Now... Like I said, if there was a chance to get saved, it was this vaccine, but I'm not so sure anymore. Why? Because right now they have so many mutations now that they say that the one from Brazil and the one from Africa, the vaccine will not be able to prevent it. Also, we have to remember that the vaccine is only 95% safe, meaning from every hundred people that will get the vaccine, five people are still exposed to get corona with the vaccine. So only 95% of the people will be saved, meaning when they will be exposed to a corona patient, if you got the vaccine, it will help you. But five out of a hundred, even if they got the vaccine, they can still become sick. It's not a hundred percent. Five percent, it's a lot. If you have a million people, million people, it's 50,000 people that get the vaccine and can still get sick. There's no 100% here. But at least they will get economy back on schedule. They will reopen schools and places and weddings, flights, restaurants. People will get out of their depression. So many thousands of people commit suicide. Just today they reported many thousands of new unemployed people in Israel, besides the million. A few more thousands joined in last month. Every month more and more thousands of families join poverty. And these people can care less that the whole world will be destroyed as long as their ego will win. Don't take it! Dad, Bill Gates wants to murder all of you! Illuminati! They are, the Pope is arrested. All their nonsense. I don't know where, 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 where is the brain of these people. They don't care that millions will die as long as they will say the last word. So I said, get out of the arguments. We are not doctors. We are not scientists. You're not a big rabbi. Just do what the chief rabbi said and tell Hashem in a judgment day. I did what Rav Chaim Kanievsky said to do. Nothing can go wrong. That's it. You have what to answer. But if you're going to say, I did what the local rabbi told me to do, you're going to be severely punished. Because when you have the local rabbi 
and you have the biggest rabbi in the world, you must listen to the biggest rabbi in the world. And I once gave a whole lecture about it. If you remember, I explained that the Shulchan Aruch was written by Rabbi Yosef Karo, and he took the top three rabbis of the time of the Rishonim and made majority, two against one. It's the Rif, the Rambam, and the Rosh. There were hundreds of other huge rabbis at that time, hundreds. Rashi, Baalei Tosafot, Rit Baran, so many, so many big giant Rishonim. Every one of them is a huge giant diamond Chacham. But eventually, from the hundreds of big Chachamim, three were a, a little bit above the rest. He took the top three in Halacha. For instance, Rashi, maybe is the biggest Chacham ever in the last thousand years, but he wasn't officially a posek. It's true that in his, in his interpretation to the Torah and to the Talmud, you can see his opinions in Halacha many, many times. His argument, if Rashi is a parashan or posek, but officially, it was not accepted by everyone as an official posek. But the Rambam is Gdola Poskim. In the last thousand years, nobody argue. Not Hasidim, not Ashkenazim, and not Temanim, and not Sfaradim. Everybody agree. The Rambam is the, is the foundation of Jewish halacha. Everything almost we do is like the Rambam. And we have, a little bit before the Rambam in Morocco, we had the El Fasi, the Rif, which was, in a way, the rabbi of the Rambam also. And we have Rabbeinu Asher, the father of Baal Aturim. Those are the top in Halacha. And the Shulchan Aruch took, took the top three and went with the majority. If all three unanimously rule in a certain way, that's what we do. If two against one, we'll do like the two. And it's interesting because sometimes you would see that let's say two would say that you're allowed to do it, and one will say you're not allowed, he's going to go with the two, but maybe the one can say, but I have another 20 of the Rishonim that says like me, right? So the answer is, that's why I took the top three. If I have to rule between hundreds, the job will never end. That's why we take the top three, and we go with the majority. Therefore, conclusion. When the Torah say, Achare Rabim Le'atot, follow the majority, the answer of the, the, the Torah meant majority in quality, not in quantity. Let me clarify. If you have one huge doctor, world class, known, top doctor, top cardiologist in the world, 50 years perform surgeries and about the heart, teaching doctors, writing books, is top authority. When doctors have argument, they go to him. Everybody knows. It's known all over the world. But you have local cardiologists. This guy is 30 years old, this guy is 32. Local. He works here, he works there. Nothing out of the ordinary. There's thousands of them. If 100 cardiologists would say to perform a, a bypass surgery, and this top doctor in the world would say, don't dare to do it because there's 90% chance he will die. One against a hundred. Hundred local cardiologists. They all say sh you should do it. Who should you listen to? To the one. You're not allowed to listen to the hundred local ones. You must listen to majority in quality, not in quantity. 
because he knows 90% about the heart, and each one of them knows 70%. So that with the 70% knowledge, that's what they reached. But if they had the 90% knowledge, they would never dare to take a risk and make the operation. Same thing over here. Every big question in life, we have to follow the majority in quality, not in quantity. First of all, in quantity, it's not even possible technically. Where are you going to find all the local rabbis in the world and ask their opinion about it? It's not realistic. You're going to find hundreds that it's for it, hundreds that are against it, and this argument will never end. If this rabbi say yes, that rabbi say no, this rabbi this, this rabbi changed his mind. That's not, it's, that's not how you follow halacha. Halacha is you go to the top rabbis. Top. By the way, there's some rabbis in the world that they are known to be expert in one field. For instance, there's one rabbi in, in Israel, Rabbi Zilberberg. He's a world expert in interest. Nobody knows interest more than him, supposedly. He, maybe he's not the biggest rabbi in the world when it comes to shechita or to kashruyot and other things, but when it comes to business and interest, which is a very, very complicated issue, there's thousands of thousands of issues when it comes to do business and take loans and mortgages and all these things and having partner and sometimes your partner is a goy and there's a Jew that is Mechalel Shabbat that is like a goy. There's many, many different questions in, in how to do it in a way that it should not be interest and how to write the heteriska and to do it in the most productive way and protect your interest without breaking any rabbinical laws and the Torah laws. He's, a, he's an expert, an expert in rebeat, interest. When I wanted to make a heteriska for business, I went to him. He used to live in Monsi. Now he's in Israel. 20 years ago, 20-something years ago, he was still here in Monsi. He's, he's an expert. Uh, even big rabbis that are bigger than him in general, when it comes to interest, they consult with him. There's also another big Dayan like this, in Bnei Brak, Rav Silvan, Silman, and also Rav Mendel Shafran. Those are known as very, very big rabbis when it comes to mamonot, choshen mishpat, business, interest, business, company, stock market, vending machine company, all these questions that we have, they are very, very well known in this industry, they are very good. Then you have Rav Zilberstein, top in the world in medicine. He writes books to, for doctors, doctors in Halacha. Every week he has a group of big doctors in Israel that come to learn by him medical issues from the Talmud. Very, very well known when it comes to medicine, he's the one. About doctor, is allowed to risk life, transplant, taking from a person that's about to die in an hour, his heart, and transplanted to another person. All this question is, a, is an expert, is Rav Zilberstein. Then, like I said, you have Baruch Hashem in different fields, like you have in Kashruyot, you have Rav Mahfoud and a few others that are very, very good, they have big Kashruyot in Israel, they know about all the Shechitot, about animals. Then you have, uh, you have, uh, Rabbis that are, besides being big in general, they're very big in grammar and mesorah, like Rav Mazuz. You have another one, uh, Rav Yitzchaki. There's a few, Rav Broyer. 
few very, very big in grammar and tradition, meaning Mesora, how the Torah was transferred from generation to generation, the Sifre Torah, all kinds of things. There's a very, very good expert in language, which is very complicated, Lashona Kodesh. They, Rashi, by the way, was one of them. Rashi was ex, there's a lot of Rashi Dikduk, which in Yeshiva they skip. It's so complicated. So when I learn with my, with my little kids, we get to this Rashi. I say, okay, read this Rashi. He said, no, that's Rashi Dikduk, meaning you don't have to do it. You can skip it. <laughs> well, why? It's very complicated to understand that, right? So what do we see over here? So I just gave you a little bit idea about in everything you have a specialist. I have a, a, a rabbi today. I made him Baal Tshuva 24 years ago. He came from Japan with yellow hair, green hair. I used to give lectures in Queens, in Hebrew, Queens Boulevard there, in the Israeli home. And uh, that's when he arrived. And I was, you know, he was there. He didn't have a place to be because he arrived from Japan, young, young man in his 20s. When I started to give lectures over there, I took him to Monsi to Yeshiva. He was by us for a few years. He moved to Israel, and then he started to work in preparing batate filin. Batate filin. Until he became one of the biggest experts in the world. He comes to Lakewood, to big yeshivot, to teach about batate filin. Very, very complicated manner. The batate filin, there's a lot of problems with that in general in the world. So he's like an expert, one of the biggest in the world. He was working with someone that was Rav Eliashiv was involved with, Rav Eliashiv, for a few years, was Mishamesh He learned from him about all the problems with Batet Filin. So if you want to ask about Batet Filin, you can go to the biggest rabbi in general. He may not know about Batet Filin what this guy knows. Why? That's his specialty. You don't ask him about anything else. You don't ask him about parshiot of the tefillin. You don't ask him about shechita. You don't ask him about choshen u'mishpat. That's not his field. You want to know about batei tefillin? He will tell you all the halachot from A to Z. That's his field. It's very good at what he does. So here, here you understand now, same thing. It's very similar like doctors. If you have a very big cardiologist, you don't ask him about brain issues. Brain needs a doctor for brain. Or everyone with a specialty, right? Uh, Pediatrist, that's his specialty. The cardiologist will not know. Skin doctor, that's a specialist. You, you, go, you get the best cardiologist in the world and ask him about all kinds of birthmarks, all kinds of stains you have on the skin. What does he know from that? He knows general knowledge but he won't be able to tell you. That's why when you go to your doctor, he gives you a referral to go to a specialist. Why? Everybody knows I'm good at this, and he's much better at this. Therefore, I don't want to rule when someone knows a lot better than me and he has the whole picture, right? Speaking about this, the Ashkenazim have to pay extreme careful attention to their skin. Tell your wife to check your skin, Tell your husband to check around why every once in a while something comes out. It looks like a little birthmark. It looks like a little beauty mark. 
Some of them is critical. If you don't catch it on time, it begins to penetrate, can be cancer. It penetrates inside and kills the person. I already know a few people that died because of it. One of my friends was davening by my shul in Monsi, my neighbor, is a very big skin doctor. He is now retired, but for many years he was a skin doctor. So, you know, from time to time when people had these problems in yeshiva, especially the Ashkenazim, when your skin is light, especially if you used to get a tan a lot when you were younger or went to beauty uh, tanning, tanning salon, you're in a very high risk. Sfaradim with dark skin, they have much less risk, but it's still possible, but much, much, much less. People with light skin, European, they can have this, and it's much critical. I had one, once I had a student that Baruch Hashem, I brought him from Brooklyn to Yeshiva, then he moved to Israel. Then he had pain in his leg. Pain in his leg. Didn't understand, it doesn't go, the pain doesn't go. He went to a general doctor. The doctor was checking his, uh, his, his leg, maybe he ripped a muscle or something. And the doctor said, you don't have any severe damage, it will go away in a week or two. But I'm much more concerned about this, what you have over here. I want to give you a referral to a skin doctor. I went to a skin doctor and the doctor told him, if you would not come to me within three weeks from today, it will be already too late to save your life. Three more weeks. So Hashem made this tzaddik, was such a tzaddik, this, this one of the biggest we had in yeshiva. Righteous boy, righteous, righteous, pure neshama. Hashem made him a miracle. He sent him pain in his leg. Because otherwise, what, what does he know from his life? A lot of people don't know about these marks. And also, don't go on the internet and start looking for pictures and already start crying like you're dying tomorrow. Okay, Rabbi Google doesn't know everything. And sometimes the pictures over there, they have a way to know if it looks round, if it's not symmetric, if it's brown, if it's black, if it has much unbelievable science. By looking at it, the doctor can tell you either way that's very, 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 it looks very bad. Immediately go make a biopsy. Unfortunately, some people get it in their face, they cut half of their face. Sometimes on the nose, they cut the entire nose. Horrible. You imagine you see a big hole in the face because otherwise it will go inside and kill the person. So chas v'shalom, before it happens, you have to be very careful. It's interesting how people that expose their body to the sun, their, their risk is much, much higher than people who dress modest. People that dress modest and their skin is covered, the chance that they will get something like this is very, very small. They don't go to beauty salon. Why people go to beauty salon? They want to look good. Why do they care to look red in their skin? Because they want to show the skin. But the Torah said that a woman should not show her skin. She should not walk around and show her skin. So it's all connected, unfortunately. Sometimes you pay 20 years later for that. You did it when you were in your 20s, and then you get it when you're in your late 40s or 50s. It was developing very, very slow. Slow and slow, and a little more, a little more, up until sometimes it's too late by the time you catch it. Anyway, so Baruch Hashem, 
We have now mutation that will, well, it looks like Hashem is not going to let us run anywhere. You can, uh, you can try to run, but you cannot hide from Hashem. I just found out today that there is a new virus, that the corona is a joke compared to it. Corona is contagious 0.5%, half a percent. That's how fast it spreads, half a percent. This virus, between 40 to 75%. 40 to, do you know what it means? It's 100 times more than corona. In one year almost, 2.1 million people died from corona. In Israel, 4,100 4, people died from corona, and another 1,200 are in very bad condition. 300 of them in uh, respirators, fighting for their life. They say that by March, it should go over 5,000 dead. That's Israel. But there are places in the world that the situation is a lot worse than Israel, like America, uh, Brazil, and some other places. Over there, it's, that's it. They lost control over it. But now, there is a new virus. What's the name of it? Of the new virus? It's called Nipah. Nipah in Asia. There's no cure for it. That's the name of it. If they would not find cure for that, if in one year 2.1 million people got it, and the other one would be 100 times more, how much is 2 million times 100? How much? Let's do the math. How much? 200 million. That means if this NIPA would start last March, by, by now, March is coming in a month and a half, it would already be like 250 million people dead. What does Hashem want? You know the answers. Cannot run away, that's it. If Hashem decided to bring the world to the final stage, that's what's going to happen. No one can run. We, we have hopes. We have hopes. What's the hope? The hope is that this virus will get the world back to normal and we'll be able to get rid of this horrible year. But who knows? Only Hashem will know. The fact that this virus is now spreading in Asia is uh, not the end of the world because remember we had SARS. We had SARS. Also it started. It started. A lot of people got it. Thousands of people died and it disappeared. Maybe this one also will disappear. We don't know. But we do know one thing about Corona, that it's not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. Not only that, they say that people that had Corona and got cured and they have antibodies, once they go and expose to a Corona patient, they get Corona again now. But their immune system knows how to fight at this time because they have antibodies. So they do get the corona, but their body will not become sick. But it's still contagious to others. That's, what they, that's a new research came out today. 
I really, really hope it's not true. Because if it's true, it means that the masks are not going anywhere in the next few years. Do you understand why, right? Because even if they, they're going to get tested and you see that you have antibodies, okay, Baruch Hashem, I'm safe. I'm not going to die. But you can still pass it to other people and they will die. So therefore, if, if this research is reliable, all government would say, we can never get rid of the mask. Let's see what's going to happen. We should focus on one thing. Many of us are worried to die from the, from, the, from the virus. Many of us are afraid to die from the vaccine. And not that many of us are afraid to die from our sins and our stupidity, unfortunately. It should be the other way around. We should be afraid of dying from our Chilulei Shabbat, from our Lashonara, from our ungratefulness, from our horrible traits, midot, pride, ego, anger, stinginess, uh, all kinds of things like that. For lack of learning Torah, it's written in a book of God 12 times that Michalel Shabbat is death penalty and a, and a permanent cut for the soul. From that, almost nobody worry. Look at the Chilonim in Israel. Ah, driving. No problem. Michalel Shabbat in public. From that, they're not afraid. Maybe in 10 years from now, the virus will catch them. The vaccine. Maybe something will happen in 10 years from, the, from this, you worry? One to a billion chance? You cannot sleep at night all day like an idiot sitting online and riding against the vaccine? Maybe in 20 years someone will die from it? Maybe one woman will not be able to become pregnant in the next 10, 20 years? From that you worry. But when millions of people are mechalele Shabbat, where did you write so much in the, in the internet? Be careful. You're playing with fire. You're going to lose your eternity. I don't see religious people are so devoted. Where? Show me. Show me one. Besides few rabbis that do Kiruv. And some people that donate to Kiruv. That's it. That's just about it. How many? How many? Not even 1% of our nation is involved with saving souls or warning the wicked. So, if you are so devoted and you so worry about people's life, start with Chilulei Shabbat. Enough with this stupidity. Vaccine, vaccine, vaccine. Chilulei Shabbat is a billion times more urgent. And it kills a lot more. Do you know how many people die every year just because of that? Why are you not worried about it? And you know what, Rabbi, but I'm not religious. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in the Torah like you. That's your opinion. I'm an atheist. Ah, oh, you're an atheist. You worry. You worry about other things, but you're not worried about Chilulei Shabbat. Why don't you worry about cigarettes? That's already been proven that it's the number one killer today and causing cancer to so many people. It creates more than 80 diseases, proven scientifically. Not theories. Vaccine is all theories. Cigarettes, it's been proven. I don't see that you scream everywhere. People, stop smoking. 
Drugs, it's been proven, it's killing. It destroys the brain. I don't see people are making all day warnings. Nobody. One to a billion maybe. Where are all these people that so worry about life? Why don't you write against smokers? They kill themselves and they kill people around them. They have to smoke it. Why you don't cry about pollution of the buses on the street and trucks? You know how much smoke they release? It shortened the life of people by a few years. Now there's less, in China, there's no pollution. <laughs> there was a period of time, the pollution in China is, wow, you can see, the, you can look. It's all smoke. Now, for a while, when they were in quarantine, the air for the first time in China in decades was clean. We, Baruch Hashem, live in Monsi, up in the mountain. You don't see the pollution. You come to Manhattan, you smell it. You go to Tel Aviv, you smell it. Yerushalayim, you smell it. All the buses, they don't take care of the buses and the truck. You drive on the highway, you see the entire highway is black from smoke. That's a killer. That's, that's killing. Every time you smell it, maybe another 10 minutes of your life were just wasted. Added together, people are dying. In places in Japan, when they live in high mountains and there's no cars, almost all of them make it to 100 years old. Almost everybody. Why? No pollution, nothing, nothing industrial over there. People live longer life. The point I'm making is, enough with this hypocrisy. If you're so worried about people's life, focus on what really kills, guaranteed. Not something that one to a million chance to kill one day. This is now killing Shabbat. You're not religious. That's why you're not screaming about Shabbat. What about cigarettes? You don't need to be religious for cigarettes. Cigarettes is not... Why, why you don't demonstrate about all these uh, Marlboro companies who kill millions of people every year? Why don't you fight to put them out of business? Why? So many things that kills guaranteed. Nobody argue if cigarettes kill or not. It's, it's a fact. Why don't you put these companies out of business? Make the cigarettes and drugs is the same killer. Why don't you fight about certain alcohols who kill so many children every year? That's a fact that it kills millions of people every year. How many accidents it caused? So if you're really honest, Start with the most dangerous bomb, then the second dangerous, the third, the fourth. Vaccine will be after five million things. Finish with the five million kills, things that kills. Then we'll have time to talk about vaccine in 20 years. But by then you will see it did not do any damage, so you won't have any interest. The Rambam said to his student, people were fighting the Rambam. People cannot handle the truth. So they were throwing his books and fighting him because he was interested in some science and talking about some things that nobody at that time could tolerate. A student came to him and said to him, Rabbi, it kills me to see how people treat you, such a holy, righteous person like you. That's how they treat you? So the Rambam told him, this was almost 900 years ago, Almost, there's no printing machine. By then, to have a book, you would have to write it with a feather. 
which will take you over a year to write a regular book. Over a year. Sefer Torah takes sometimes two years to write. So the Rambam told him, I'm surprised at you that you're upset. Don't you know Hashem runs the world? But don't worry. After we would leave the world, every house in a Jewish nation will have my books. After the ego will die with the wicked people, all the wicked people who make a lot of problems, once they die with the ego, the ego will die out, no one will fight anymore my truth. To say such a thing in a generation that there was no printing machine, it's even higher than a prophecy. Because in a prophecy, sometimes you have some logic. Some, meaning, some prophecies are against human logic. Like the Western world will never collapse. The Western world, there were four walls around the temple. The other three were knocked down, first time by the Babylonian, second time by the Romans, and both empires did not touch the Western world. But besides that, the Greeks came, and there were many, many Muslims, Saljukim, Fatamim, Ottomanim, uh, British, so many empires came over there, occupied Jerusalem, there was a massive earthquake, and after all the wars over there, the western wall is still standing. Why? The Midrash say, this wall, here it is, in front of our eyes, standing. Why? That HaKadosh Baruch Hu swore that nobody can bring it down. To promise such a thing uh, must be divine. No human being will take such a risk. <laughs> Especially when the other three walls were knocked down in minutes by, by pieces of wood. They ran, they banged into it, and it fell. Especially when the wall does not even have cement that glued the bricks. No cement. They only stand one on top of the other. So all you have to do is to go on top where the Arabs are, come with a tractor, push the top brick, just push it. It's going to fall on the head of the Jews. You kill two birds with one stone. First you get rid of a thousand Jews, which will make you very happy. And second, you find the first mistake in Judaism. Why? Because now you can prove that it's not divine. Because if it was divine, you can never have mistakes. And the Torah promised that the Western world will never fall down. So if you bring it down, here you go. We got rid of Judaism. But there's only one problem. If you get rid of Judaism, accidentally also get rid of Islam. <laughs> because where do you think they copy from? Why they don't eat pork? They learn in the Torah. Why they don't charge interest from each other? They learn in the Torah. Why all of them cover their, their body, all the women? They learn from the Jews. Why they pray five times every day? Because they saw the Jews praying in Yom Kippur five times and said, we're going to do it every day. We'll be better. Everything they do, which is positive, they learn from us. But they added some of their own things, which made the whole thing a joke. But whatever they do positive, charity, to give charity. Where did they learn this concept from? The concept of gathering together to a building and praying together. They learn from us. Everything that they do, they learn from us. About Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, they learn from us. Even about their own father, they learn from us. They wouldn't know who their father is without us. 
They learn in the Torah that their father was Ismail, the son of Agar. Without our Torah, the Arabs wouldn't even know where they came from. Why they scream and they want Jerusalem? They see that the Jews care about Jerusalem. They also want it. But in their book, it doesn't say anything about Jerusalem. Just to show you that they are the imitation of what we do. By them, homosexuality is a big crime. By them, murder is a big crime. Unfortunately, not all of them came to school the day they taught it. You know? Some of them are very much into murder. Okay, jihad, jihad, jihad. Shem Yerachem. But in reality, you understand the point here. Let's talk a little bit about what's happening in this week's uh, in Shabbat that we just read. As you know, Hashem was uh, begging Moshe to go and redeem the Jewish nation from, from slavery. Moshe escaped. Moshe escaped to Midian, where Itro, the Pope, was. Why? He killed an Egyptian. The Egyptian was beating up the Jew. When Moshe killed him and, and buried him, then he found out that Datan and Aviram, the two lefties, Bernie Sanders and another one like him, they found out that the rabbi killed that Egyptian murderer. When a lefty find out that the rabbi did something good, to protect his nation. What would he do? Right away, tell the enemies, hey, by the way, I have information from you. What? The rabbi got rid of an Al-Qaeda terrorist. Oh, yes? Thank you, Bernie. Where is the rabbi? Come, give us a testimony. The biggest traders were our own nation. Who are they? The Torah says, If 75% of the Jews in America vote for our enemies, I don't have to explain to you that the enemies of the Jews are, unfortunately, those who are called Jews. They call them Jews. They're not Jews. Most of them are not Jews, but they are called Jews. Like all this reform. Not even one out of a hundred is a Jew. They already assimilated for 200 years. Do you know how many generations they marry non-Jews? Go and find out if there is one kosher Jew among them. You can find. They themselves don't know. You come to some uh, Jewish lawyer in Manhattan or from Philadelphia. Who is your mother? Her. Who is her mother? Her. Who is the mother's mother? I don't know. Who is the grand-grandmother? I don't know. Where are you from? I don't know. Is your grand-grandmother was Jewish? I don't know. I have no way to know. We are secular already for 150 years, seven generations. And we married everyone. We don't care who we marry. Go and prove now if he's Jewish or not. A DNA test is not a proof. If you go and make a DNA test and it shows you have Jewish genes in you, it doesn't mean you're Jewish. You should know that. It can only mean that maybe from your father's side somebody was Jewish, your grand-grandfather. Remember, when Hitler killed people, he killed someone that was a quarter Jewish. For instance... That's Mr. X. His mother, non-Jewish. His father, non-Jewish. Why? Because his mother's mother is not Jewish. And his father's mother, also not Jewish. But his father's father was Jewish. So his last name was Cohen. 
So we have now Chris Cohen here in Germany, in Berlin. His mother, German Goya. His grandmother from the mother's side, German Goya. Right? His mother's father, German Goy. So from his mother's side, he's 100% non-Jew. Let's go to his father. His father's mother, German Goya. So the father is also a Goy. His father's father, a Jew, Cohen. So what's his father's last name? Cohen. This Mr. X, his, his name is Cohen, Chris Cohen, or Joseph Cohen. Joseph Cohen, such a pure Jewish name, Joseph Cohen. What could be more Jewish than that? Or Abraham Cohen. He's 100% non-Jew, but Hitler would kill him. Why? Because his father's father was a Jew. His last name is Cohen, yeah, into the gas chambers. He would kill him and his other five brothers. All six of them were goyim. He killed them for nothing. They, were, they didn't have Jewish neshama. Just because you have some Jewish blood in you, they kill you. What happened if his father's grandfather was Jewish? Not father. Both of them were goyim. His father's grandfather. Now you are eight a Jew. Eight. Also. Also. I just show you how many non-Jews they killed in the Holocaust. I spoke about it a few years ago. Remember the big scandal? Scandal or not, unfortunately, the truth hurts. Instead of facing the truth, you're going wild sometimes. People started to scream. It doesn't change reality. Same thing here in America. Go and check. Everyone you know, go and check in America. Check for Jewish name, Jewish last name. Horvitz, Leibovitz, Rosenfeld, Cohen, Levy, Mizrahi, any name you want. Check one by one. Your mother Jewish, your mother Jewish, your mother Jewish, you see how many are not. I went to Stony Brook College for Shabbaton. There's a Chabadnik rabbi over there. A few years ago, invited me for Shabbaton. There was one sink over there. There's Friday night meal. More than a hundred students waiting online to wash their hands for the bread. For the, for the, for after the Kiddush. The Chabadnik, he realized it's going to take over an hour for 100 people to wash their hands with an Atlan. So he found a way to speed up the process. He stand by the sink and he asked each student, is your mother Jewish? No, you don't need to wash, go. Is your mother Jewish? No. Is your mother Jewish? No. Is your mother Jewish? Yes, wash. Next one, your mother Jewish, out of the line. From over a hundred students, more than half of them, their mother, were not Jewish. And they think they are Jewish. They came for Shabbat uh, Kiddush. More than half of them sat down. The line became a lot shorter. That's the story of the Jewish nation. Moshe Rabbeinu, Hashem is asking him to go and save the Jewish nation. After he killed the Egyptian who was beating up the Jew, he ran to Midian. Now Hashem came to him in a burning bush and he, he was 80 years old and he said to him, time to redeem my nation out of Egypt. Why? They are in 49 gates of impurity. If you keep them there another month, they will never come out. They already reached the 50th level and from there nobody comes out. It's urgent. Go and save them. Moshe begins now an argument. 
my brother Aaron is older than me. He's 83, I'm 80. He's going to get offended. Why would you choose me? He's a tzaddik. He's older. He's my older brother. Send him. He's, he's going to be upset. Hashem should have said to Moshe, I'm telling you to save my nation. Another week or two, they'll be lost. You worry about your, father, your brother's feeling with all due respect. That's what you have in mind. What do we learn from here? Hashem answered to him, don't worry. I testify to you that when your brother Aaron will hear, he will be happy in his heart. What do we learn from Hashem's answer? Let's see who is clever here. From the answer that God gave to Moshe, what do you just learn for life, for our life today, that applies to each one of us? That doing a mitzvah, as big as it is, as big as it is, is saving millions of people from death, from losing their Jewish identity, on the expense of hurting another Jew, it's not a mitzvah. does not justify. Why? Because if it did justify, Hashem should have said to Moshe, big deal. Who cares now if Aaron will be offended or not? That's what concerns you right now. Let's go. We'll deal with Aaron later. That's not what he said. Say, so you're right. You have a good point. But I'm telling you, I know your brother. He will be happy. Not only he won't be jealous, not only he won't be upset, he will be happy that his younger brother was sent on a mission. Now Moshe saw that this point is off the table. He came up with another excuse. What is it? Anyway, they won't listen to me. I have speech problem. My parents never sent me to a speech therapist. I don't speak so clear. Sometimes I meet people, I don't understand one word of what they're saying. It's all mumbling. Don't understand. What, what, what? It's embarrassing already. How many times do you have to say what, what? Speech problem. It's not in your end. What can you do? This is the way you're brought up. Sometimes it could be treated in a young age. It would be later on helping very much. So Moshe is saying, I'm stuttering. Not only I'm stuttering, I have speech issues. The last person you want to stand in front of the king of the biggest empire in the world is me. Why would you choose me to embarrass yourself? You can't find a better messenger. What was the answer of Hashem? Who gave a person a mouth? I give all people their mouth, right? Don't you think that if I'm in charge of creating a mouth and giving a mouth to a person, don't you think to give me a little credit that I will be able to put the right words in your mouth when you stand in front of Paro? Yeah, what do you think? I'm going to leave you hanging there? I'm sending you on a mission, and then when you come there, I won't let you speak? How long this argument was taking? One week. Until Hashem lost his patience to him. Just go and do it.
One time, student came to Rav Shalom Shvadron, was a very strong spe speaker of the last generation. They asked him, Rabbi, can you give us a Musar talk in your house? We would like to come once a week to your house, a few students from the yeshiva that likes Musar. It's not enough the Musar they teach in the yeshiva. Can we come to your house once a week? You give us a few punches to wake us up? Rabbi said, Rabbi Shvadron said, I have to ask Rabbi Yecheskel Levenstein, the Mashgiach of the Yeshiva. Why? Because your Rabbi, the one who teaches you Musa right now, may be upset that you're going now separately to me to give you more Musar, meaning his Musar is not enough for you. He may take it to his heart. Well, I'm not such a good rabbi, so they, get, they had to go to a private rabbi on the side to teach them. He went to Avchaitzke Levenstein, the Mashgiach. Should I ask them to come to my house once a week for an hour to give them a strong, a strong lecture? Or maybe because the rabbi will take it to his heart, I should not do it. What do you think was the answer? The answer was, this is what we learn in our generations, from generation to generation. What do we learn? If a person runs to build the holy temple of Hashem, and someone will get hurt from his running, Better he sits home and not run, then someone will get hurt on the way. Meaning, you cannot climb to the top by stepping on other people's head. That's not what I want. You cannot be tzaddik with someone else's money unless he generously gave it to you. You cannot force him to give. You cannot take advantage on anyone. You have to think about every little thing. Chafetz Chaim one time went to a house of someone and they had a lot of water. You know, in the old days they didn't have faucets a hundred years ago. So they had a barrel and everybody takes from the Natlan and do Netila. Everybody of the guests came washing with a lot of water. Why? The more water you spill on your hands, the more wealthy you be. It's good to be wealthy. Sgula to be wealthy. The Chafetz Chaim came, very little, the minimum, Revi'it. Revi'it. How much is Revi'it? Three ounces of water. Nothing. Like this, maybe. Less, like this. Very little. One time, second time. Rabbi, put more. Don't worry. I can't. Why? Who is going to have to go bring new water? The maid. I want to be rich and, and send the maid to be a slave to bring more water because of me. I spill. Somebody has to go to all the way to the river and bring water. It's not like here you press a button, water, water comes out. Ah, that's no problem. Nobody works hard. In the old days, they used to, used to go down the hill, go put two buckets with a stick, bringing it all the way up, filling it up. What do you think? It's, it's easy? 
how can I do mitzvah or how can I do sgula to benefit myself on the blood of someone else. Chafetz Chaim, when the guest came to his house, he did not sing Shalom Aleichem and Eshet Chayil. He did right away Kiddush, let everybody eat for two, five minutes, everyone is full already, then he got up and started to sing. They told him, Rabbi, it's not the right order. I know, but this guest coming here, who knows when they ate from the morning, Friday, maybe they're hungry now. I'm going to start singing now when the, when the stomach is grinding now. Let them first relax, eat, be comfortable. Now we stand and we sing. Great people, they think about everything. One time there was a bar mitzvah in Bnei Brak. Anonymous family. Anonymous family. All of a sudden, who showed up? The stipler. The biggest rabbi in the world showed up. The father of Rav Chaim Kanievsky. Only with Ruach HaKodesh. He came into the bar mitzvah. Everyone got their shock. What does he have to do with his family? Not family of rabbis. He came to the boy. Whispered something in his ear. Shook his hand, gave him a bracha and left. Everybody ran to the boy. What was that? He said, the stipler came to ask me for forgiveness. Why? Five years ago, when I was eight years old, I was in, I was in a shul when he gave a shiur. And I made noise with my chair. And he asked me, can you keep it quiet? And I got a little bit insulted. He's such a big rabbi in front of everyone told me to be quiet. And he could not ask me for mechila because I was not bar mitzvah. Kids cannot forgive. Only when they become an adult. So now he waited five years checking when I will become bar mitzvah that the day I became bar mitzvah he ran quickly to ask me for mechila. Five years ago, I told him to be quiet. This is, this is angels. What do you think? You have Ruach HaKodesh just because you have nice blorit? Huh? Or nice earring? Or your beard is beautiful? Wow, what a nice beard you have. In India, you know how many people that bow down to the cow, they have beard? Do you know, Moshe Rabbeinu comes to Paro and he throws a stick. The stick becomes a snake. Paro begins to laugh. <laughs> what is this, a magic show? You want to teach us magic in here in Egypt? He called all the Khartoumim, the little kids. The beginners. Come, come, boys. Kimdalach. Kimdu. All these filthy Egyptian idol worshiper kids came with their canes. Threw it on the floor. So many snakes. Wow. What happened? The snake of Moshe swallowed all of them. Why did Hashem make that show? What for? What do we, why it's in the Torah? First of all, it's a little bit an insult for Moshe. Yes, five minutes later, Moshe's snake ate their snakes. Everybody knew whose magic is greater. But that five minutes, it was a very big embarrassment, no? You're allowed to embarrass a person in public? He's sending someone on a mission 
And he comes there and stands like a fool, and he throws his cane, and all this filth, all these reshaim come, and they throw their cans, and they all become snakes. You're embarrassing him, and everybody laughs. All this goim, <laughs> look what is this, this guy is dreaming. He's coming to make a show here. Why the Torah brought this? Remember how many times I told you. Every line, every word in the Torah, it's a school for life. For today. Not for 3,500 years ago. For today. What does it come to teach us? That the filthiest people in the world, idol worshippers, crooks, liars, snakes, they can take a stick, Throw it on the floor and turn it into a snake. Meaning, making magics, it's not a sign of holiness. Rabbi, you don't understand. I went to this Kabbalist. Right away, he did this and he did that. I had pain in my head. He said, come here. He took something, went like this. The pain is gone. That's it. That's my rabbi from now on. Fool. Complete fool. It's against the Torah. The Torah shows you that the most wicked people in Egypt, the Khartoumim of Paro, were able to perform such magics. So, why the Torah brought that story? That you will never ever be impressed by the miracles. This week it was the outside of the Babasali. Babasali performed hundreds of miracles against the laws of nature. Many of them in front of hundreds of witnesses that swore that they saw what he did. Do we admire the Babasali because of his miracles? If you are, you're nothing but a fool. We admire him because he was down to earth holy, very, very skinny, meaning he stayed away from all kinds of pleasures, eating very little, stay away from all the pleasure of this world. All his life he lived with Torah, mitzvot, emunah, irat shamayim, to the top level you can get. Kabbalah, everything. The last thing we are care about is the fact that he was able to perform miracles and big ones. There's a whole book just about his miracles. If you admire the Babasali because he was able to perform miracles, you have no idea what the Torah is and you have no idea what Judaism is. The last thing you should be impressed is about miracles. You should know that. If we already mentioned the Babasali, in Morocco, there was one very old mikveh. The mikveh then wasn't a $4 million mikveh here in Flatbush or in Monsi. It was a little bit different. It was all stairs that made from sand. You have to go down. There was no electric. I'm talking to you 60, 70, 80 years ago in Morocco. There was no people, women had to go with the, with, the, with the lamp, with oil, oil lamp, go inside, go into freezing water uh, 100 feet under the ground in the middle of the night, I don't know, 9, 10, 11 at night when it gets dark. 
He needed to be a real Eshet Chayil to go to the Mikveh in those days. Not like today, she come to the ten stars Mikveh, warm towels, mirrors, you know, boiling water, background music, great smells, and complain. Oof. What? Uh, <laughs> I have to wear a mask. I don't want to go to the Mikveh. Why? My husband is pressuring me. Why don't I want to go? I don't feel comfortable not to go to the mikveh. Maybe one, someone before me, she had a corona. So why you walk on the street? Why you go to the supermarket? Maybe someone before you walked there in the aisle with corona. Because to walk to the supermarket, there is no yetzerara. But to go to the mikveh is big yetzerara. Women that goes to Hilton Hotel, Sheraton Hotel, hotels of Dubai. Well, Rabbi, we're going to Dubai for Shabbaton. Rabbi, such and such will be in Dubai. No, very nice. So when she goes to Dubai, there is pools for women. Baruch Hashem in Dubai, the women are modest. No, it's an Arab country. So there's hours for men, hours for women. So when a woman will go there in the water, She's very happy. Why? Nice pool. Very nice. Then she comes back to New York. You tell her, maybe you start going to the mikveh. Ugh, mikveh. Crazy, Rabbi. Stink. Ugh. People go inside with all their dirt. Why? Every woman must take a shower before. And they soaked in the water, and they cleaned their nails, and they brushed their hair, and they cannot have any scabs. <laughs> it's actually they clean the ears. It's perfectly, and there's chlorine inside the water in case there's some germs. By the Hilton Hotel, or Sheraton, or the Dubai Hotel, first of all, nobody takes a shower before he goes in. People are very sweaty. People are full of oil, tanning oil, or cream, anti-tanning. And the little children over there, you know, I don't want to tell you what they add to the soup over there. And Hashem Yerachem, they change the water maybe once a year, or maybe, I don't know, who knows. So much dirt in that water, and sometimes you drink some of it by mistake. It's a contribution of 300 kids who visited there in the last uh, three, four days, without going into details. But the fancy lady have no problem jumping into the soup. People's hair, people's oil, people's... Everything is theirs. But the mikveh, which is perfectly clean... <laughs> Why? Yetzrara. So in Morocco, the Moroccan women were not as spoiled as us. Moroccan, American, sounds alike, but very different. They were really brave. But what can you do that one time you come to the mikveh and the mikveh fell apart? Collapsed. There was floods, whatever, something happened, boom, no mikveh. That's a, everything collapsed. So no mikveh. So the Moroccan women had to go to the lake, river or lake over there. Imagine going to a river or a lake at night, you have to put a guard, right? Someone to watch that nobody would show up. And it's freezing, and who knows what can happen over there. Maybe a shark would come, who knows. <laughs> Imagine this. That's what they had to do, so they did it. 
But then the Moroccan army decided to make a base right by the water. They need water, so they want to be near next. So they put tents over there with all the Moroccan soldiers. They had a war with the French. The French came to Morocco. That's why the Moroccans speak French. The French army is in a war with the Moroccans. So the Moroccan army, they made their camp right by where the Jewish women used to go to the, to the Tvila. Nobody can go now. It's not modest. They came to the Babasali. What are we going to do? The Babasali called all the rich people there in Morocco. We must build a mikveh yesterday. Everybody contribute. The Moroccans, they have warm heart. This, that, that. They collected enough money. They started to build the mikveh. Two months. Two months the mikveh was ready. Nice mikveh. Now, now you need rain. You need rain for the mikveh to, to be filled. But now it's the month of Tammuz. Tammuz is July, August. There's no water. There's no rain in Israel or Morocco or the Middle East. No rain in Tammuz. The Babasali came out in front of all the community. Ribbono Olam. We did what we had to do. We finished. Now it's your turn to do what you have to do. Please, don't let us down. A minute later, pouring rain began. Pouring rain. The roof of the mikveh was filled with water. All the water goes right into the pool. Mikveh is ready after a few hours. Then when they came to check, they found out that when they built the mikveh, they put a faucet that according to one of the poskim in Morocco, it's not kosher. Everybody else says it's kosher. That chacham says it's not kosher. They said to the Babasali, if, it, if the mikveh would not be kosher, will Hashem make us such a clear miracle and give us such pouring rain in a, in a month of Tammuz? Hashem would cooperate with making Jewish women go to water that are not pure? Babasali says, don't give me logical reasons. There is one chacham, according to him, it's not kosher. I cannot allow Jewish women to go there. That's how he was. It was chassid. Midat chassidut. One tiny doubt. That's it. He's not going to do it. So he say, empty the mikveh. No, women cannot go to the mikveh two months. Empty the mikveh. Everybody had to wait until they build the mikveh. Empty the mikveh. Get rid of that faucet. Fix it. By the way, they did it. The next day now, after they fixed it, again he came. So, Olam, now we need water for the mikveh now. And again, pouring rain, twice in one day, in 24 hours. This is a clear miracle. Rav Ovadia himself said that story in his yard a few years ago. He was still alive. And the mikveh was full, filled for the second time. And another miracle happened in a different place when there was a mikveh in Morocco and a huge snake walked in on the stairs. Huge snake. Women went and saw the snake. That's it. All over Morocco. Nobody goes to the mikveh now. <laughs> Who is going to go? Snake in the middle of the night there. The Vavasali went there and picked up the snake like this on his, ne on his neck and brought, it, brought him out. 
How you're not afraid of the snake? Maybe it's poisonous snake. You're going over there all the way down. There's no, there's no light. I have to go with the lamp, bring the snake. He brought him up. Why? If I have to die to make all the women be able to go to the mikveh and make tarad mishpacha and Jewish kids come to the world, dayenu. Worth it. And one more thing. Everybody knows the shul of the Ariya Kadosh in Tzfat. I'm sure all of you went there. Today it's easy to go there. You go, you see all the arches and the mik, 500 years old from the time of the Ariya Kadosh. But not many of you knows that before Israel became a state, nobody could go into that shul and came out, come out alive. Everyone who tried to walk in died. They, it, that's it. There was some kind of a magic there. Kishuf. You go in, you die. They can't go inside. The Babasali came, they tied the rope to his leg. He went inside, did what he did. First one who came out alive said, from now on, no one will die. People started to go inside, and Baruch Hashem, it's open already decades. This is a famous story of the, of the, the Beta Knesset of the Ariya Kadosh. And after everything I told you, be very careful not to admire the Babasali because of his magics. Magics is nothing in Judaism. We stick to the divine rules. That's all we care about. The Gemara says, Rabbi, Rabbi Eliezer and Chachamim. They had an argument about an oven that is built with, uh, with pieces, like a Lego. One piece uh, uh, connects to another. They build an oven in the ground. That's how they used to cook. If it's receiving tomorrow, because it wasn't one piece, one piece and another piece and another piece, machloket. Rabbi Eliezer made all the magics you can imagine. If Allah like me, this tree will fly in the air. The tree flew in the air. If Allah like me, the wall will fall down. The wall was about to fall down. Rabbi Yoshua made it stop. If Allah like me, the water, instead of coming from up the hill to down the hill, will go in reverse. Against gravity, the water started to go in reverse. Kabbalah ma'asit. Practical Kabbalah. And the Chachamim told him, we do not follow magics. The Torah says, one against plural, halacha kerabim. You are one and we are many. Everybody here is a big Chacham. No matter how many magics you will perform, we will not change our ruling. The Torah is not in heaven. The Torah came down to the ground. And Hashem put the Torah in the hand of the Chachamim and the Chachamim make the rulings. Not magics and no show. Therefore, whatever we say remain. Later, one of the Chachamim saw Eliyahu Anavi. He said, what did Hashem think about these arguments? He said, I gave my children a very hard test and they passed it. Passed it. Why? Because it was very, very easy to make a mistake and follow him because he was able to make such performance. And in the end, they were right. Yachid verabim chachamim, not like the singular. So remember this. From now on, don't tell me, oh, Abba, he was so holy and he had such a beard. 
any so mystical, any did this, any did that, and he touched someone and he got cured, any, when my cousin was in a wheelchair and he brought him up. That's nothing. Torah, it's sticking to Hashem's rules. That's it. You know, performance, this, that. Forget about this. We don't follow. By the way, even in the New Testament, JC told his followers, don't believe in me because I perform miracles. Later on, when they came to him and said, how do we know you're telling us the truth? He said to them, don't you see I'm able to make magics? That's one of the ways to prove that the New Testament is baloney. It's not from Hashem. One time he told them, then he said, they told him, we, we, we need food. We have to cut weed and make bread. He said to them, but it's Shabbat today. We can cut wheat on Shabbat. He said, but we don't have anything. He said, okay, I allow you. I'm the master of Shabbat. If the biggest chacham in the world will tell a person you're allowed to cut wheat on Shabbat, that's that penalty. And carry it for the soul. And that chacham will no longer ever be able to show his face. Forget about to become a Messiah or son of God of two million, two billion naive people. Why? Why I'm finished? Why? Because you allowed someone to do Hilul Shabbat. If you come to a rabbi and he tells you, it's okay, you can smoke on Shabbat. I understand you. It's okay. I know, I know, you're very angry, you're stressed. You can have a few cigarettes on Shabbat, no problem. This Chacham is not Chacham, it's Rasha. Finish. What happened to his books? You got to bury them or burn them. That's it. It's history. There was one guy, Baal Tshuva. He made Tshuva. And then he printed thousands of books with all the proofs that the Torah is divine. Thousands of books. And then he became secular again. Why he became secular? He was caught making a scene with a woman. And he was published, and he got embarrassed. Everybody saw his real face. And he ran away. Now they, had, they ask Chacham what to do with all the thousands of books that are being given out. It makes a lot of people become religious, these books. It's, he, he made a very good job. He collected all the proofs from a lot of books into one. He even sponsored it. He was a wealthy guy. He even sponsored it. There was like 20 or 30,000 books in a storage in Nebrak. They asked the Chacham what to do. He said, burn all of them. They got rid of all the books. Each book was a few dollars at least. They got rid of all the books. Gniza called. What? Apicores. <laughs> of course, after he became secular, you found out that it was all to begin with was a show. That's why I always tell people, don't rush to have faith in people that are one or two years religious. You don't know. Sometimes they're on the way up, they get excited. One crisis, boom! They go back to be going. It's not so simple, Rabotai. Yohanan Kohen Gadol, 80 years, was a big tzaddik. In the end, he became a lefty. He voted for Sleepy Joe. After being Republicans for 80 years, decided to vote for Kamala. Yohanan Kohen Gadol, 80 years he goes into Kodesh HaKodeshim and he's, not, he's coming out alive. No one in history did such thing. No one. 
from the first Bet HaMikdash and second Bet HaMikdash, he has the highest record. 80 years he came into Bet HaMikdash in Yom Kippur and came out alive. In the second temple, only four Kohanim made it, in and out. Everybody else died. They go in, first time, die. First time, die. First time, die. Dozens of them, they all die. Only four came out alive. And he was one of them. But he had the highest. The highest. One was 12 years, one was 20-something years. He was 80 years. And in the end, joined Hussein Obama and Kamala. Became a tzduki. You know what tzduki means? I'm questioning the ruling of the rabbis when it comes to the oral Torah. And he lost his olam haba. 80 years being the holiest person in Israel, just before he died, became Rasha. But we call, not an atheist, not like some uh, secular Jews from the university. No, he did not become such a low level. He just questioned the ruling of the Chachamim when it comes to the oral Torah. How do you know that that verse means what you say? Maybe it's this. He did not deny that God exists. He did not deny the Torah is from Hashem. He did not deny even that the Chachamim are all big Chachamim. He just had questions about some of the rulings. Like today. Like half of the religious people today. They all are Pikorsim. The biggest Chachamim in the world say you have to get a vaccine. And all day they type online, be careful, be careful, be careful. Rav Chaim Kanievsky saying, you have nothing to worry. It's on video. His grandson screamed, Rabbi, Abba, Grandpa, there's a woman who's very much afraid to take it. She has nothing to be afraid of. There's other people who say it's going to cause them damage in the future. He won't. There's a pregnant woman. She's afraid. She said maybe it will affect her pregnancy. She has nothing to be afraid. It's all on video. But they have the nerve to continue. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He was misled. They didn't tell him the whole picture. What do you think? You're dealing with a puppet here? This person, 92 years old. Son of the stipler. Chazonish was his uncle. Raveliashim was his father-in-law. <laughs> no matter where you go, he's connected with the holiest people of the generation. Do you know what was the bar mitzvah of Rav Chaim Kanievsky? He put filin in a shul, and they made l'chaim. There was no $200,000 fancy seven floors on the tables with good scotch and some special sushi. No, no, no. L'chaim, few cookies, a little bit cognac, all the people's mazal to, mazal to. Bar mitzvah. What was the bar mitzvah of Rav Shach? Even that they didn't have. No cookies and cognac. His mother sent him tefillin with a messenger to the yeshiva. That was it. That's it. Rabbi, we're having bar mitzvah on Shabbat in a shul. Can we invite you? Once I made that mistake in Israel. I went to that Shabbat. What do you see? Dozens of cars coming in the middle of Shabbat, all the Mechalele Shabbat coming, parking by the shuls on the driveway, on the, on the sidewalk, 
people walks in with phones, taking a keeper from the box, putting in, the phone is in the pocket, no shame, no nothing. Middle of davening. You cannot hear the Kriyat Torah, foolish women from up there. Moshe! And every second, the Gabai, shake it, sham! Cannot read two psukim. The biggest disgrace. Bar Mitzvah. You have to see the boy how he looks. I don't, I don't know, I don't know what, how to describe him in words. All shaved here, bald. And over here, some cactus on his head and some earrings. You would never believe he's a Jew, this kid. Chalel Shabbat, what are you wasting time to do Bar Mitzvah, you fool? But Bar Mitzvah means I accept the mitzvot. You're getting into the car in a minute. You're driving. What are you doing Bar Mitzvah for? Why wasting money? Lo chaval, burning money? Keep the money for your other sins. Why do you need to come to the synagogue and make Hilul Hashem in front of everyone? Bar Mitzvah. I'm surprised the Gabayim allow such thing. In Israel, they don't have a choice. Over here, it's privately owned shuls. The government don't sponsor the shuls here. In Israel, the city sponsors almost every shul. Some shuls are private, but the big ones, it's all from money that comes from the culture budget. So if you tell someone you cannot do bar mitzvah over here, you're going to have a problem with the mayor. Big problem. That's what's going on, Rabotai. Let's move on. Afraim Kanieski asked in his book, Ta'ama Dekra. Why when HaKadosh Baruch Hu say to Moshe, Ve'ata lecha ve'eshlachacha, Hashem say to Moshe, you can go back to Egypt. Why? The people that were looking to kill you, they died. Who are they? Who wants to kill him? Huh? The people that made Moshe all the problems were Datan and Aviram. Huh? Datan and Aviram. They lost all their money. So they are considered like dead. Someone that lost all his money is considered to be dead. I want to ask you a question. How do you know? How, do, how does Chazal know that we are talking about poverty here? Maybe we're talking about leprosy. Leprosy is also Chashuv Kemet. Maybe they became blind. To become blind is also count like you died. So there are few things that can happen to a person that, that is equal to death. How did the Gemara know that we are talking about that they lost their money? Now listen carefully. Rashi writes, Datan and Aviram nechshevu metim, ki yardu They lost their properties and became poor. Four people are considered dead. One, poor, person that cannot afford anything. Second, person that has tzarat, leprosy. Third, someone that has no children, could not have children. And four, someone that became blind. Those all are equal to dead person. So how the, how the Chachamim know that maybe they became blind, maybe they have leprosy, 
Maybe they, they don't have children. Maybe there's different reasons. How did they know that we are talking here about poverty here? The answer is, Rabotai, the Tosfot in Nedarim, page 7, this is what it says. Lo itachen lomar shelo hayu laim yeladim. We cannot say that they have children. Why? Because when Korach gathered 250 wicked people, who came? Datan and Aviram joined Korach. And their wives and children, the Torah say, came with them. So all 250 people had, had families. So that cannot be. So they had families. Very good. So what happened? Maybe they didn't have children back then and they had children later on. Maybe, they, maybe their children were born after. Maybe in the time when Hashem said to Moshe, go, the people that are looking to kill you, they don't have children, so they count like dead. And only after that they had children. After Moshe came. The answer is, someone that will have kids in the future, the Torah will never call him dead. Because after all, he left children in the world. Why calling him dead? Someone 17 years old, and he's going to get married in, in 10 years and have children. When he's 17, you're going to call him dead? Lo mistaber. Doesn't make sense. So what's the third option? Maybe they had leprosy. Tzarat. How do you know they have leprosy? Why? Because it said... They were standing with Korach right by the tent. And people that have leprosy must be isolated for a week out of the camp. They could not walk. It's, it's contagious. They cannot walk around. They had corona and there was no mask yet. So they had to be isolated. So therefore we know from the Torah that Datan and Aviram were standing right next to the group. So they could not be leprosy. So what's the last option? Or oh, what about blinds? Maybe they became blind because it's written, They came to Moshe and they say, Who do you think you are? You want to poke our eyes? That means they had eyes. If they were already blind, a blind doesn't come to a person and say, I know you hate me. You want to take my eyes out. If I would want to take something out, I would take your heart out, not your eyes. Anyway, you don't have eyes. So from here we learn that they had children, they did not have leprosy, and they were not blind. So what's the only options left? Money. See how the Torah works? It's all analyzed. So now we know they lost their money. Maybe the Gemara say, maybe they had leprosy in the time that Hashem said to Moshe, and later with Korach, they got cured. Some people had leprosy and they got cured. Possible, no? In Matan Torah, all the people that were sick, all became cured. Even the blind people became cured. So maybe they were blind, and in Matan Torah, they became healthy again. Maybe they had leprosy, and in Matan Torah they, got, they became good. The answer, we cannot say such thing. Why? Because the Torah is teaching us that all the people that got cured in Matan Torah, their defect came back to them in the sin of the golden calf. So everyone that was blind and in Matan Torah became cured, 
when they danced around the golden calf, became blind again. And if he had leprosy, he had leprosy again. So therefore, it's not an option. So the question is, Rav Chaim Kanievsky is asking, now Hashem is sending Moshe to, to release the Jewish nation, and he said to him, all the people that are looking for you are all dead. You have nothing to be afraid. Why Hashem is telling that to Moshe only after he say goodbye to Itro? He went to his father-in-law and asked him permission. Moshe, was married to the daughter of the Pope. The Pope came from Italy and said, hey son, I'm your, I'm your father-in-law. I used to be the Pope, now I'm, Baruch Hashem, a rabbi. Rabbi Itro. Not only that, a chapter in the Torah is named after him. Parashat Itro, and which parasha? The one that described the acceptance of the Torah. To teach you the power of Baalet Shuvah and converts. But not just a, a wicked Baal Tshuva. The Pope, the master of idol worshipping. The worship any kind of idol. An expert. Machti Arabim. Became the father-in-law of Moshe. Why is it? Why? When he was one of the three advisors of Paro. Bilam, Iov, and Itro. Bilam said, kill the babies. Bilam got a sword into his heart. Eov, Ito saw, whatever I'm going to say, I'm going to get into trouble. He ran away. He ran away. He was smart. If you see two people are fighting, one is your cousin, the other one is your cousin. If you take one side, the whole Bukharian family will put you in a ban. Becherem. Why? Why you took his side? And what happened if I would take the other side? It would still put you in cherem. Because you took somebody. And why didn't take the other one? So no matter what you do, everybody will get angry at you. So what should you do? I'm sorry, I have problems in my stomach. I have to run to the bathroom. I have an important call. And without the realize, you run away. Where were you? We needed to ask your opinion. Oh, don't ask. I had to run. Why? Oily mi itzri, oily mi otzri. Whatever I'm going to say, I'm going to get into trouble. Better to run. And Yov, that was quiet, suffered seven years of Gehenom in this world. The Ramban say, one hour in hell is worse than the seven years of suffering of Yov in this world. His children all died. He lost all his money. He became sick. All his friends left him. The worst nightmare. All of the seven years of suffering does not reach one hour in hell of all the Mechalelei Shabbat what's waiting for them. One hour in hell. It's already worse than the seven years if you put it on a scale. And they have to stay there forever. Forever. Don't be fooled by people that tell you, oh, don't worry, hell, it's only one year. Even if it was, if you're smart, you wouldn't want to have one year, which every hour is worse than seven years of the, of the suffering of Itro, right? You wouldn't want such a year. But how do we know that Gehenna is much, much longer than one year? 
very simple. 1,300 years after Korach and Adato were swallowed alive and went to hell, Eliyahu Navi came to one of the Amoraim. That was actually 1,500 years ago. And he asked him, do you want me to take you to a place to see what happened to Korach and his group? And he took him to a place in the desert and said, put your head right here on the ground. And he said, I heard they all screaming, Moshe emet v'torato emet. This was 1,500 years after they went to hell. They were still screaming. Then the Chachamim argue if in the end they will come out of hell one day or not. Some say yes, some say no. Why? Why there's an argument? Because logically, they should never come out of hell from what they did. They actually challenged the messenger of Hashem and did such a chilul Hashem after all the warnings they got should not have any mercy. So how come some of the rabbis say in the end, one day they will come out of hell? The answer is, you're not going to believe the answer, Rabotai. Ay, ay, ay. You're not going to believe their answer. They made a lot of zikuy arabim. They saved a lot of people in their death. How? They died. They were wicked. Because after they died and everyday people around the world reading Parashat Korach and see what happened to these wicked people who spoke against the chief rabbi, just like today with the vaccines. And what was their end? Hashem buried them with their own babies. The Gemara said, but what did the babies do? What did the animals do, the sheep? He said, to show you how severe is disagreement, disagreement with the holy big Chachamim, that they came to challenge and rebel against Moshe Rabbeinu, and they're all big Chachamim. We're not talking about ordinary fools who barely knows how to read Hebrew, and they sit on a computer and type. You don't know anything. You should not be careful from this vaccine. But the biggest rabbis in the world say to take it. Who are you to open your mouth? Where is your respect to Hashem? It says in the Torah, everything they tell you, you must listen to them. Don't move left or right. Rashi writes, if they tell you about left, that is right. And about right, that is left, you must listen to them. Don't dare to question what they say. And if you will, that penalty. So everybody reads, what's the end of people who are cholkim against the messenger of God? What was their end? And that's the reason why many people say, don't get me involved. Why, Rabbi, come, say something. There's an argument in the community. This rich guy against this rich guy. He wants to take over the shul, and he wants to... Come, say something. Leave me out of it. I don't want to be involved in machloket. Why? Look what the end of people who got involved in machloket. So the Gemara said, Chachamim said, because so many thousands of Jews got saved from the same end by learning a lesson from the end of this Rashaim, it will add together to get them out of hell and move them to heaven. Why? After all, you save thousands of other people from having such an end. 
You're going to get some credit for it. Did they mean to save anyone? No. They were 100% wicked. Did they have any good intention? No. It was all ego. It was all about their ego. Did they care if someone would be saved in the future? Absolutely not. They did not mean well. They did it only for their ego. And in the end, it helped them. And we, us, that try to save souls, that speak to people, give them books, give them CDs, give them USBs, donating money to save souls, praying to Hashem to open the eyes of a relative to become Shomre Shabbat, arguing with people for hours, convincing them to follow the Torah. Imagine what reward is waiting for us. The most wicked people who went into a war against God after they heard his voice. It's not like us. We are very far from Matan Torah. It's thousands of years. They actually heard Hashem saying to Moshe, you are the leader. They saw the, the magics that Moshe did. They saw everything. They, they saw money falling from heaven. They saw how Hashem spoke to Moshe Rabbeinu. And yet, their ego destroyed them. And after all of that, they still got, in the end, they'll get a reward. Why? Because many people will get saved from them indirectly, with no good intention. Indirectly. You meant bad, but somebody got saved thanks to you. You already deserve a reward. The Gemara says someone lost money. Stingy person, he never gives tzedakah. Never. You beg him. You show him someone is dying. Pikuach nefesh. Give something. Nothing. Go to my friend. Go to my cousin. Go to my neighbor. I'll retail him for you. You never give. One day he walks in the street and he lost money. $500 was in his pocket fell. Oh my God. He's crying. Pulling his hair off. Two days he doesn't eat. What happened? Moshe. Oh, I lost $500. Like this. After two days, it's okay, God. I already have such a tragedy. At least, I hope that a kosher Jew will find it and learn Torah and use it to do mitzvot with this. And a Bachor Yeshiva found the money. A day later, walks in the street, $500 in a corner, picked it up, went and bought Gemara, he's learning, bought some fish for Shabbat, some, you know, chicken, meat, paid the electric bill. <laughs> so, the question now, the stingy guy, does he get a reward from this Zakah or no? Believe it or not, yes. Yes. Do you understand, Rabotai? This stingy guy never meant to give tzedakah. You will, you will beg him, you die, you will see you dead on the street, he won't give you a penny. In the end, Hashem gave him a punishment and he lost. And he said, okay, at least that somebody kosher will find it and use it. And he actually get a mitzvah. Not superb mitzvah, but something he gets.
look at the mercy of Hashem. He deserves two stirots, he deserves. Deserve mitzvah, somebody like that. But Hashem is still going to give him. Why? Your money went to a good cause. Baruch atah Adonai, lo elmelech, avodam shakon, yabidvaro. Rav Chaim Kanievsky asked, why only after Moshe went to Itro and told him I have to go to Egypt and ask him for mechila and permission to leave, why only then Hashem told Moshe that his enemies are dead? When he told him to go to Egypt in the first time, he did not tell him, you have nothing to worry about. Those lefties, that hates you so much, they're all eliminated. Don't you worry. He didn't say it. First Moshe agreed to go. Then he went to Itro, and he asked Itro, forgive me, God sending me to take the Jewish nation out. I have to leave. And I hope it's okay with you. And Itro say, Hashem bless you. I'm with you. And then Hashem came and said, by the way, by the way, you have nothing to worry about. The people that wanted to kill you, they are powerless. Why is it? That's the question of Rav Chaim Kanievsky. Why not telling him in right away? The answer is, you want your son to go clean the garage now, and it's a two hours walk in the month of August. Hot, humid, wow, boiling. There's no air conditioning in the garage. It's a spoiled American kid, right? So now, if you tell him, go and clean the garage, why? Because I said so. You know how he's going to clean the garage? Itzy! Yeah. How are you doing? I hate it. I want to kill myself. <laughs> what happened? After five hours, Baruch Hashem, one shelf is clean. In between, he shoots the basket, he plays with his bike, you know. If you tell him, don't worry, if you're going to clean the garage very good, I'm going to buy you the best sport bike or a nice Xbox. Yeah? Wow, how is he going to clean the garage? Better than 500 Ahmeds. You know how they come with their hands, were so powerful. Ah, boom, bam, Ahmed, here, Mustafa, here, yes, yes. Your son, forget, forget that he's American. I became a martial lion. Why? For the Xbox or for the bike or for a trip. Maybe he also wants to go to Dubai. Who knows? <laughs> but... Does the boy deserve a reward from Hashem after cleaning the garage, after he heard he's going to get a, a bike or, or a great uh, gift? No. So the father wants the boy to get a reward from Hashem. He doesn't tell him, I'm going to get you a great bike, or I'm going to take you on a trip, or I'm going to get you whatever you wanted. He said, why should I do it, Abba? Because your father is asking. Don't you want to do something to respect your father? Yeah, yeah, Rabbi, you're right, you're right, I'll do it. Once he is already on the way to the garage, after he agrees, you scream to him from upstairs, by the way, Itzi, when you finish, you have a nice gift waiting for you. What is it, Abba? Remember the bike you've been dreaming about? I ordered it for you. Ah, now he's like, wow, 
he's enjoying the cleaning. Why? He gets very great payment for it. If Hashem would come to Moshe and say to him, go to Egypt, because I killed all the people who made you problem, you have no risk. Moshe would have no reason to not to go. So first Hashem comes to Moshe and says, go to Egypt. Moshe is thinking, all these lefties, all these reforms are there waiting for me in London, waiting to drink my blood when I get there in the airport, together with the Muslims in the airport. Don't let him in! So you're thinking, wow, maybe we'll, I won't even be able to go in. But if Hashem say to you, don't worry, all these Reshaim, I already poisoned all of them. They already all joined Korach and his group. You have a clear path. Why should you get a reward? That's it, you have nothing to be afraid of. Once you're willing to go into the fire, going into the fire, that's when Hashem come and say, and by the way, you have nothing to worry about. I took care of business. So Moshe now is going to get a reward of someone who jumped into the fire or someone who went with no risk. He's going to get a reward of someone who jumped into the fire. If Hashem would already tell him, I eliminated all your enemies, the reward will be a lot less. And that's what life is all about. Many times Hashem is giving us a test and we are so worried and say, well, let's trust Hashem. And after we agree, we find out that everything was already done for us. And we get the reward anyway. Sometimes you get to the place and someone else already did it. But you're still going to get a full reward like you yourself did it. Why? Why is it? Because you were willing to do it regardless. Now, Moshe Rabbeinu is sent to Mitzrayim and he said to Hashem, why did you send me to hurt the Jewish nation? You're sending me to speak to Paro. From the minute you sent me, things got a lot worse. Not only did it not get better, like you said, it got a lot worse. Why you send me? Look, because of me they suffer more. Moshe said to Hashem, I always wonder what did the Jewish nation do bad to deserve such a tragedy? Exile, Holocaust, slavery. What did they do? He cannot get a punishment unless you're guilty of something. Until one time I saw that they have traders who run to the goyim to snitch. They snitch. They betray their own brothers. When I saw that they snitch, I knew they deserve to get exactly what they get. A lot of us in the communities are people that snitch. Call the authorities. I saw somebody walks here in Borough Park without a mask. Where, where? 13th Avenue and uh, 47th Street. We're on the way. Snitch. I knew they talk Lashon Arab on each other. Going to the Goyim to do Chilul Hashem. Come, come. Once I've seen that they are Moser, Mosrim. Moser has no shirt to the world to come. 
cannot count him in a minyan, cannot marry his children, cannot say hello to him, cannot sit around him. Moiser, someone who turned a Jew to the authorities. So Moshe said, once I've seen what they are doing, now I have no more questions about their punishment. So Moshe said like this, if you punish them because of Lashon Hara, why you are sending me? You also punished me with leprosy because of Lashon Hara. When you sent me to Paro, and I threw the stick, before you sent me, you gave me an example, right? I threw the cane and became a snake. Then you told me to put my hands in my underarm. As soon as I did it, my whole body became leprosy. You hinted to me that snake, it's symbolizing Lashon Hara, snake that comes and beats you for no, for no personal gain. What Lashon Hara gives you? You're ruining the life of someone. What did you gain? And second, is leprosy, it's a symbol of Lashon Hara. It's the punishment of Lashon Hara. So you hinted to me that because I spoke against the Jewish nation to you, then I also made a sin. That's why you gave me this leprosy for a minute. Why it was only for a minute? Because I meant well. I didn't want to cause them damage. So I had no bad intention. That's why you just hinted to me. So if I'm guilty of Lashon Hara, why will you, will you use me to save a nation that is being punished for Lashon Hara? Find someone clean, like my brother Aaron. He never spoke any, against anyone. He's a man of peace. He runs to make peace between people. So you should not send me. I, if you're sending me, that means they're not guilty of Lashon Hara. If they're not guilty of Lashon Hara, what did they do to deserve such a horrible suffering? That's the meaning behind this Pasuk. Lama Reot Alamaze. Why he gave them such a punishment? Obviously, it's not what I thought. I thought it's Lashon Hara, but now I see it's not. You know, in the in the time of the temple, the first temple, there was two kings, Judah and Israel. You had Yerovam ben Navat, and you have Rechavam. Rechavam is son of Shlomo, King Solomon. The kingdom of King David split to two, Yehuda and Israel. And at that time, there was a wicked king, Yerovam ben Navat. He was the king of Israel. Rechavam was the king of Judah in Jerusalem. When you go to Bet HaMikdash in the three festivals, only one king is sitting in Azara, the king of Judah. The other one has to stand like an ordinary person and has a very big punch to his ego. I once knew a, a person, called himself a rabbi, that he had a very bad midot, very bad, horrible traits. So bad that he would never agree to go to a Brit Milah of a Jew unless it is a Sandak. That's the only way he would come. If you tell him, no, I want to give my father Sandak, or I want to give the other rabbi, he will not show up. No chance he would show up. Why? Because he would have to stand with ordinary people. 
Everyone is around the sandak to get brachot, and he's standing over there like nothing. His ego was so high that he just could not do it. We have one like that in the history, Yerovam ben Nevat. I will not go to Jerusalem and stand like an ordinary person by the crowd, but not only I will not go, I will modify the Torah. I will put two big statues on the way to Jerusalem. I put army. I don't let anyone go to Jerusalem for mitzvat Bet HaMikdash, Ali Ala Regel. And when people tell me, what's this? I would say to them, there is a mitzvah. Instead of going to the temple, this is where you have to bow down. This is what he did. Now you may think that he was a reformed Jew. Maybe he came out of the University of Manhattan. The Torah says not only was not a Reformed Jew, every subject in the Torah, he was able to give you 127 different speeches, complete different ones. That's how genius he was. Nobody of the Chachamim was able to reach his level. Such high level of Torah and the worst Worst personality character. The worst. I pride and ego. And nothing Hashem hates more than people with ego and pride. Even to the point that Hashem came to him and said, For the honor of your Torah, I'm giving you last chance. Make repentance. If you will, you and me and King David will walk together and enjoy in heaven. And he asked Hashem, but who's going to be higher, King David or me? Hashem said him. I'm not interested. Similar to the guy that Eliyahu Navi came to him and said to him, today is your lucky day. Today is your lucky day. Whatever you ask, I'm going to give you. In one condition, that I give your neighbor, your enemy, double. So he said to Eliyahu Navi, that's the case. Poke one of my eyes. Take it out. That he should take two from the other neighbor. He's willing to be blind now in one eye for the rest of his life, knowing my enemy became fully blind. You fool, he would give you a hundred million dollars. He would give you a building. He would make you a Talmud Chacham. He would make you a holy person. Eliyahu Navi is an angel. Name it. Whatever you want, I'll give you. Take... One eye out of me that you should take two from my enemies. That's ego, Rabotai. Ego. It's all about that. So Ido Anavi, there was a prophet, his name Ido. When you hear Israeli Ido, it's a common name in Israel. All the Israelis that their name is Ido, I don't think one of them know who their name after. That's how ignorant we are in this generation. They have no idea who is Ido. Ask any Israeli, hey, Ido, Borega, do you know who you name after? Ma? What do you want now? There was a prophet named Ido. So what do you want from me now? I, I, I don't know him. You don't want to know who you call after? What do I care? Don't waste my time. So Ido, the prophet, he comes now to give a very hard prophecy to this Rasha, Yerovam. Where is the story? Melachim Aleph, chapter 13, verse 2. 
ויקרא על המזבח בדבר השם ויאמר, מזבח, מזבח. The prophet came to the altar and say, altar, altar. כה אמר השם, this is what השם say. There will be a son born to the family of David. יאשיהו שמו. His name will be יאשיהו. And he will sacrifice sacrifices on you, on the altar. Which sacrifices? He will burn all the false prophets and burn them and their bones. He will execute all the reshaim. Right after that, Ido gives a sign to prove that what he said will happen. He said the Mizbeach will split to two. The altar broke the spot and all the dash and the fertilization that was on it, everything fell down. Yerovam, instead of getting a heart attack and starting to cry and scream to the prophet, please, please, give us a chance to do tshuva. What did he do? Lift his arm to give him a punch to the prophet of Hashem. What happened? What happened? His hand got dried, stuck like this. He cannot move his hand. So he's standing like this with his hand, and the altar is broken to two. And the prophet that is speaking, what's going to be the end of all the Rashaim? It was not politically correct like many today. In those days, the truth was above everything. And he understands now he's in a very bad situation. He's frozen. He became, you know, paralyzed. So he said to the prophet, please pray to your God. Pray to your God. Remember, this is a person that knows the whole Torah from right to left, left to right. Every rabbi you know today in the world, if he would be in his time, he would beg him, give me permission to serve you tea. In his level in Torah. So he said to the prophet, please pray to your God. Pray to your God what? Your God, not my God. What? Rashi say, Pnei Elokecha, not Elokai, your God. Yerovam is still not, is still not giving up. Still in, in rebel. And what happened? His hand was released, came back. What did he do after that? Continued to worship to the idols. Continue with Avodah Zarah. We think how dumb a person can be. How dumb. Sacrifice to idols? The Gemara said that there was such a strong desire for it. You ask yourself, how come religious people making sins with women? How can it be? Were well, they not afraid of God? It's such horrible punishments in the Torah. The Yetzirah for Zima in this generation is so strong that so many people are falling into this trap. Same thing with money. Greed. People that kill their mother for money. Everybody's about money, 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 politics, money. 
you know how difficult it is not to be corrupted and greedy. The same thing was back then, Avodah Zarah. None of us has desire to worship an idol. <laughs> it's a joke. Any idol you bring, you think it's stupid. What, you're wasting my time? What did you bring it for? No, no, come, come. Try, try. Here, take the goat, slaughter it, burn it on the altar. You will see what a great year you're going to have. 2021, you get rid of the corona. My idol promise. <laughs> it's very big nisayon back then. They actually saw miracles from these idols. That's why it was so hard to stop. After all of that, after all of that, it's similar to Paro. Moshe does to Paro all these things. He sees the ends of Hashem and is still not surrendered. Same thing Yerovam. is not surrendered. There was another king, and we'll finish here. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, 2,600 years ago. The empire of Babylon, Babel. Nebuchadnezzar, just as bad as Hitler in Machshimo. Similar, mass murderer. Nebuchadnezzar, it was in a time of Daniel. Daniel was a complicated prophet. The hardest book in the whole world to ever understand it is the book of Daniel. It's in Aramaic, time of Persia in Babel. Very hard language. Some prophecies over there are mamash the end of days. It's very difficult to understand this book. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. He called the Chachamim, all the important people. Tell me what I, what I dream. He did not tell them like Paro. Seven fat cows, seven skinny cows. No. If you're so great, you have to guess what dream I had last night. Nobody had any idea. Uh, if we won't hear your dream, how will we be able to give you a solution to your dream? Nebuchadnezzar said, if you're not going to do it, I'll kill all of you. Daniel was also there. The Jewish representative among this Goim advisor was Daniel. The Gemara said, who deserves to be Mashiach? If it's in our generation, is Rabbi, Rabbi Udanasi. If it's for past generations, Daniel deserves to be the Mashiach. Three days they threw him with the lions. The lions did not eat for days. What happened to a person that you bring him down to a big hole full of lions that did not eat? How long will he survive? Not one inch of him will be left. Even his head will swallow. Three days the lion bowed down to him. They didn't touch him. This is how holy he was. Daniel came to him. And Daniel said, you saw a big statue in your dream. His head is from gold. And his hands are from silver. His stomach and his thighs are from copper. Nechoshet. His legs are from metal. Some of his legs metal, some of them ceramic. He's telling him the whole dream. 
And the solution to this dream, how you interpret this dream, you, you are the golden head. The head of the statue is the, is the, is the gold, which is you. You right now will be used as a king for the entire world. You're going to be a king of the whole world. And that's why you are the head and you are the gold. But the kingdom will not remain in Babel, in Babylon. It will move to Persia. The Farsi will take over the Iraqis, the Baghdadi. The Persian will take it. And from Persians, it will be transferred to the Greeks. And from the Greeks to the Romans. Nebuchadnezzar was shocked. Ah, this Jew knew everything. Exactly my dream. But he decided, because of the inspiration of that dream, to actually build this dream, this statue. The sta he made a huge statue. Golden head, silver, this, that. Why? That will be the symbol of Babylon. That, from heaven, they gave me a prophecy what's going to happen in the world now. So what did he, in order for everyone to agree and get along with his plan, he brought three people from every nation to bow down to this idol. Every nation has to send three representatives. Who did the Jews send? Hananiah, Mishael, Vazariah. Hananiah, Mishael, Vazariah. The Midrash say they came to Daniel. They said to Daniel, should we bow down to the idol? Because if not, he's going to kill all the Jews. Daniel said to them, you should go and ask this question from Prophet Yechezkel. He is higher than me in prophecy. Go and ask him. They went to Yechezkel. He lived in Babel. They asked Yechezkel. Yechezkel said to them, this is what I received from my rabbi. Who was his rabbi? Prophet Yeshayahu, Isaiah. Wait until the anger will pass. When you see you dealing with someone angry, don't add oil to the fire. Go away. Disappear for a week. Hide. Shut your phone. Go away. Soon, he's going to get out of his bad mood. He won't even remember that he wanted to fire you and all that. I say to someone, they said, wow, my friend gave me a car. I was counting on his word. Now he wants to take back the car and he wants me to drive an hour to deliver the car. And how will I come back? I'm going to have to pay Uber. It's going to cost me over $150 just to get back. And he keeps sending me angry messages. I say, two, three days, don't talk, don't answer, don't beg, don't answer back, don't fight, nothing. He will not even remember that that's what he wanted to do. He won't even remember. Just wait until the anger will pass. So listen to this, Rabotai. So they did not want to wait. We have to tell him if we're coming to bow down to his idol or not. We don't want to hide. We don't want to hide. 
Yechezkel told them, okay, wait, let me ask Hashem. Let's see what Hashem tells me. He asked Hashem, will you save them if they, if, they bow, if they come to bow down? No, they will refuse to bow down. Then he will throw them into the fire. If, the, if he will throw them into the fire, will you save them? And Hashem's answer was, what did Hashem say? I won't save them. After what they did to the prophets, this Jewish nation, the ungrateful people, you want me to perform a miracle for them? They killed Yeshayahu, they killed Zechariah, two prophets they killed. Now you want me to make, they, they took Yirmiyahu, Jeremiah, and threw him outside to the Chatzera Matara. Michayahu, another prophet, got a punch to his face. I threw them to exile, to Babel, to Babylon. And now you want me to come and do a miracle for them? The miracles for them is over. I'm not interfering. So Yechezkel knew that they don't care. They're going to give their life. And, they, and, then, and then and the three big tzaddikim, very big tzaddikim, they will sacrifice their life. So Yechezkel told them the answer of Hashem. Hashem will not perform a miracle for, them, for you. And they say to him, whether Hashem will save us, whether he will not save us, we will still give our life. Why? The Gemara asks, where did they learn to have such devotion, such brave people to die on Kiddush Hashem? They learn it from the frogs in our parasha, parashat Vaera. When the frogs came to Egypt, trillions of frogs, trillions, and they're very loud. If you hear one frog at night, your blood freeze. One time I was in Boca Raton, I stayed by someone, I said, well, let's use the, the pool as a mikveh, middle of the night. No one is there. I come to the pool, all of a sudden, oh, such loud voice, my blood froze. It took me a few minutes to understand that that's a noise of a frog, small one on the side. Imagine one, now multiplied by a trillion. Imagine the noise, Ooh, all over Egypt, and jumping into your face, into your plate, into your bedroom, into the bathroom. Everywhere you go, they're hitting you. You cannot move. You can't walk. You're afraid to walk over them. That's how, that's how it was. Crazy situation. And it smells bad. Also smell bad. So such noise. And some of them jumped into the oven, into the fire. The Gemara says, Needless to say, frog that did not have to die to, to, to perform the will of Hashem, they chose to die. Nobody told this specific frog, jump into the fire. They volunteer. Other frogs could also jump into the fire. They rather jumped on a bed. But there are frogs who jumped into the fire and got burned. What? To perform the will of God. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah said, 
if the frogs, animals with no free will, that they don't have to do what Hashem said, they just, <laughs> they should just walk. They jumped into the fire. We have this obligation to do Kiddush Hashem, so we will die for Hashem. And of course, Hashem made them a miracle. They threw them into the fire and they didn't get not, did not get burned. Question is, why did Hashem say to Yechezkel, of course I won't save them. After all the sins you did, you want me to make a miracle for you? The answer is, if they would know that Hashem would save them, they don't deserve any reward anymore in Kiddush Hashem. <laughs> I would also run with such ego. Hey, Nebuchadnezzar, you think I'm afraid of you? Come here, I'll give you a smack. Throw me into the fire, let's see. And he throw me into the fire, and I go like this, in the fire. And that will be the greatest thing. Do I deserve anything? I deserve nothing. This is, a, this is all baloney. But now when I go with such fear, he's going to throw me now into the fire, I'm going to go on fire, but I'm going to give my life for the sake of Hashem, and he threw me into the fire. And in the end, I had a miracle. I deserve a full reward, right? That's what happened in the time of the Ariya Kadosh. One Amaharetz, one ignorant Jew came to the Ariya Kadosh and he told him, I made a very bad sin. And I just found out that the punishment for this sin is burning. I would like you to give me the debt by burning. That's why I came to you, you holy man. So the Ari said to him, you know what burning is? You have to take a ball of lead, heat it up in the fire. When it becomes a ball of fire, you have to open up your mouth and like, shove it into your throat and it burns your heart and lung and everything. You ready for that? Say yes. I want to make tshuva and die pure. The Ari Kadosh told him, okay, lay down here. Close your eyes. Do tshuva. Ashamnu, bagadnu, regret your sin. Ask Hashem to forgive you. He tells him what to say. He heal up the lead. He said, open up your mouth. And he put chocolate in his mouth. <laughs> or dates, whatever. Some candy. What is this? You already have full repentance. Hashem doesn't really want you to die. He the whole concept is to bring you to a level that you're great and you're so ashamed of your sins. That's already dismissed the debt. You don't need to die. Same thing over here. So what did we learn from Mirabotai? That the frogs, they were willing to die just to perform the will of Hashem. And we, people, that Hashem makes so many miracles for us every day, we are still in a battle to put the ego down and to accept to accept the verdict and the and the and the will of Hashem. We say in Agadah of Pesach four cups of wine. One for Veotseti etchem, one for Itzalti etchem, one for Gaalti etchem, and one for Lakachti etchem. But the problem is that is in this verse there is one more word. It should have been five cups of wine. What's the fifth one? 
Why do we only have four cups of wine? What about ve'eveti etchem el ha'aretz? The problem is that almost no one came into the land besides Yoshua ben Nun and Kalev ben Yefune. That's why we don't drink the fifth. Because all of them died in the desert. How many of them came out of Egypt? 20%. Ve'oceti etchem, we drink. We drink. Why? Three million came out. Twelve million died. They didn't come out. It's enough. Three million came out. I fulfill my promise. Ve'oceti etchem. 80% die because they didn't trust me. But 3 million came out, so you drink one glass of wine for ve'otseti. Ve'etzalti, I saved you in the desert, who knows how many times. You drink a second glass. Ga'alti etchem, I saved you from Egypt. Ga'alti etchem, third glass. Ve'lakachti etchem li le'am, I made you my nation. Right? אני השם אלוקיכם אשר הוצאתי אתכם מארץ מצרים להיות לכם לאלוקים. That's the only reason I took you out. To become your God. Fourth glass of wine. What do we do with the fifth one? We put it on the side for Eliyahu Anavi. Why Eliyahu Anavi? Why not for Avraham Avinu? Why not for Moshe Rabbeinu? Why Eliyahu Anavi? Eliyahu Anavi is hundreds of years after Yitziat Mitzrayim. Eliyahu Anavi, to be precise, is 700 years after the exodus of Egypt. The answer is, Rabotai, is the Gemara in Masechet Sanhedrin, page Tzadik Aleph. The Gemara says, the Egyptian came and they sued the Jewish nation in front of Alexander Mokdon. Alexander Mokdon. Alexander was the head of the Greeks. He was the king of the world in a very young age. He also died young. But he occupied the whole world. He was a great fighter. And they say to him, we want the Jews to pay us for all the gold and jewelry and diamonds that they stole from us when they came out of Egypt. We have the bill. <laughs> GIA in Manhattan, they gave us an appraisal. How much it should be today? So the Chachamim didn't know what to do. Oh my gosh. Imagine the court of Hag in Holland. Now they decide that Israel has to pay the Arabs such and such. What are we going to do? Big problem. Sanctions the whole world. Today Iran was kicked out of the United Nations. They can't vote anymore. You know why? Why Iran was kicked out of voting? They don't have the, the voting privilege. They did not pay their annual fee. Not only Amex have annual fee. The United Nations also have a national annual fee. The Iranians say, what do you expect? We broke. Trump dry us, dried us out. We, don't, we can't afford to pay the annual fee. So they revoked their rights to vote. No joke. Iran cannot vote anymore. Today. It's temporary because Sleepy Joe is going to send them a lot of money like Hussein Obama did. Hussein Obama did, right? Benji, I think he wants the tefillin outside. So, what's the situation now? 
The situation is, the Chachamim didn't know what to do. There was one of them, his name was Ktiya Barpsisa. Gvia, Gvia Barpsisa. It's a funny name. He's, he was a little bit crippled, you know, hunchback. He came and said, send me, send me over there to argue in court by Alexander Mokdon. If I lose, you say, who is this guy? Look how he looks. Do you think we would send such a lawyer? <laughs> if I win, I win. If I lose, you disqualify me and you come and say, we have such big rabbis. Who is this guy? Okay. So he came over there and he said to the Egyptians, where do you know that we took your jewelry from? Where did you learn about it? Where is your proof? They said from your own Torah that God gave you. It said that you took all the jewelry and clothing and you came out, you're supposed to return it and you never gave it back. He said, okay, the same Torah said that we were slaves by you for 210 years, multiplied by 3 million people, 16 hours a day, $15 an hour, let's do the math. <laughs> they say to Alexander Mokdon, give us three days to come back, and they never came back. Tia Barsisa, the Maharsha asked, he said, if you do the calculation, the calculation of Tia Barsisa and all this, it comes exactly like the money that we took from them, exactly if you do the extra hours and, and all the years and everything. But, but, what about the fifth glass of wine? And this is the last thing for tonight. The answer is, Rabotai, only those who came to Israel and got a share in it, they actually deserve to get the fifth glass. The rest of us did not go. Everyone dies in a, died in a desert. Shevet Levi. Shevet Levi. Even when they entered Israel, they did not get a piece of land. They were living in the area Levim and in a shelter city. So they didn't get it. So in order for us not to embarrass the Levim, that they didn't get a piece of Israel, so they should drink four glasses and we will drink five. So the Chachamim say everyone will drink four and the fifth one will put on standby. What? For Eliyahu Anavi. But why Eliyahu Anavi? Because in the future to come, after Mashiach will come, even Shevet Levi will get a piece of land in Eretz Israel. And they will have to drink also five glasses of wine. That's why we put it the Koshel Eliyahu. Why Eliyahu will be the one who comes and informs us about the arrival of the Mashiach. So when Eliyahu will come, we say, hey, we've been waiting for you too long. Here is your, here is your glass of wine. Make bracha. Make bore priya gefen. Eliyahu Anavi will tell us about the arrival of the Mashiach. From the minute the Mashiach would come, we will build Bet HaMikdash, and the Levim will get a piece of land in Eretz Israel. And it will reorganize the entire thing. And what will be the end of it? The end of it is that from then on, we're going to drink five glasses of wine in Lela I know you want to kill me now. 
It's very hard to finish four glasses of wine as it is, unless you're Bukharian. <laughs> Bukharian can drink a barrel of wine. Baruch Hashem, they have this blessing. But ordinary people, they drink one, they already snore. You know, not everyone is trained enough with the Bismoishmo, Habenji. Anyway, so the question is now, what's going to happen? We cannot drink even four. Imagine we drink the fifth one. Let's say, in Israel, they have a say. Shenagia la gesher, When we reach the, when we reach the bridge, we'll worry about how to cross it. When the problem will arise, we will see how we will handle it. Until then, Bezrat Hashem, we have to focus from now on, not about fear from vaccine. Not about speculations and YouTube conspiracy theories. I told a lot of people that ask me, and I say that in the lectures, do not listen to anyone, regardless. It doesn't matter even if he's a great one. No matter who. Anyone whose lecture became YouTube conspiracy theory, Illuminati, the Pope is arrested, they're going to be shut down, they're going to do this, uh, uh, Rockefeller is killing the world, and they, they're going to steal all the money, and Bill Gates will kill billions of people, and the vaccine has a, the, inside the chip, and the chip, they will know everything about you, and they will shut the chip. All these idiotic conspiracies, if anyone, you hear one of these things in speech, shut it permanently. That's not Torah. That's false prophet, Nevi'eh Sheker. People who give prophecies from stupid goyim who makes up all kinds of things on YouTube, that's not Torah. That's Nevi'eh Sheker. You want to say a prophecy? You're not a prophet. Talk about the situation in the world. Hashem is angry at us, Hashem is punishing us, there's a new virus now, as I told you, for those of you who came late, you know, there's a lot of problems in the world. The vaccine may not even solve the problem, we, all, we don't know, we will see in a month or two. According to Prophet Bibi, Bibi, he is confident that by March, Israel will be fully free to operate. Fully open, everything will be open, Flight will be as usual, businesses will be open, and everyone will go back to the old good days. If it will happen or not, it's March, it's another month or so. We will find out what Hashem is preparing for us. We don't know. Very logical that Hashem will have mercy on us after a horrible year. It came around Purim, it may live around Purim, which is another month and a half. Very logical. But at the same way, it's very logical that it will not go another 10 years. Why? There's mutation. You make a vaccine for this, a new mutation. You make a vaccine for that, a new one. You find a vaccine against everything, a whole different virus now. What was the name of it? I just told you that. Huh? Not SARS, the new one. Nipa. Nipa, 40 to 75% contagious. Corona is 0.5%. This new vaccine now, a new virus in, uh, in, in Asia, 40 to 75%. That means if that's true and it's going to start expanding everywhere, in one year it will all be over. 
millions and millions and millions, that's it. Nothing will help. Maybe we are doomed to live with this mask for the rest of our life. Like the Gemara say, Pnei Ador ke Pnei Face of the people became face of dogs. Maybe it's about time to hide your face. You know, if you're not embarrassed of yourself, I'll put a mask on your impure face that nobody will see it. Maybe that's what Hashem wants to do. I don't know. There could be a lot of different reasons. I wish I can come and tell you why Hashem is punishing us. The problem is that there are so many different options that I would not know which one of them is the worst. I really wouldn't know. I can start naming all the bad things we do. Maybe this, maybe that, maybe this, maybe that, maybe this, maybe that. It could be so many different things. It could be modesty, it could be Chilulei Shabbat, it could be Lashonara, it could be racism, it could be baseless hatred, it can be lack of davening, it can be lack of emunah, it can be because people are so dumb and all they care about is conspiracy theories. It's maybe that Trump became our new God in the last four years and Hashem smashed him just like he did with the Niles and turned the Niles into blood. Why did Hashem attack the Niles right away, first thing in Egypt? There was the God of the Egyptian. Hashem killed their God, the water and the goats. The goat became Korban Pesach. The Egyptians went crazy. We believed in these goats. Your goats will become mangal, grill. And the water will become all stinky blood. Smells terrible. Why? First thing, I will destroy your God. Maybe the same thing Hashem is doing to us. You believe in America. America will help Israel. Trump is the Mashiach. Trump will save us. What a great tzaddik Trump is. It's all true. He was great to us. He did for us. He was good for the Jews. He was good for Israel. He, Baruch Hashem, saved himself from a horrible hell. Let's, let me tell you this. Based on his ex-lifestyle before he became a president, he got very lucky. These four years, maybe one day we'll buy him a place in heaven with the righteous Gentiles as a chassid umot olam. But what about us? We are not guaranteed to be there yet. We still have to sweat a lot more. But he became our, our king. King. Wow, this he's going to do, he's going to do. There's still a lot of people who believe he's going to bomb Iran in the next three days. Still have until Wednesday. Somebody sent me a recording. It's, it's, you know, every, I told you today, every other person is a Navi. So many prophets. If Eliyahu and Navi would have to slaughter all the fake prophets on the Carmel mountain, there was not going to be room in the mountain for all the prophets. 450 in his days filled up the entire mountain. Today you have 450 million prophets. Every other person. Illuminati, Rockefeller, this, that, Clinton, uh, Biden, Junior, pictures, pedophile. Pedophile, still walking free. Wow, millions of pictures of him doing horrible things to children all over the internet. And surprisingly, the FBI did not even call him, hey, uh, Biden Jr., let's talk a little bit about these Photoshop pictures. Still walking around. Everyone is free. Don't you think maybe it's all fake news? Everything you hear, fake news this, fake news that. Believe me, I would be the first one to dance if all of that was true. 
and these Democrats will go to where they belong. But let's not hallucinate. Let's all land. Let's call HaKadosh Baruch Hu is much more powerful than Trump and the Republicans and Bibi and the vaccine. It's all Hashem. We are in the end of Hashem, Rabotai. Every one of us, for Shiduchim, for Parnasa, for children, for everything, for health. Everybody's so afraid. Wow, one day the vaccine will kill us, one day. Not afraid of Yochilulei Shabbat. You're not afraid of Lashonara. You're not afraid of being gay. You're not afraid of going making scenes in horrible places. You're not afraid of the money you steal from your bosses. You're not afraid from the money you steal from the government. You're not afraid from all the other scenes that you make on the internet and on your, on your not kosher phone. You're not afraid of anything. What is he afraid of? Maybe one day his face will turn into a horse. Because he took the vaccine in 2021. That's what he's afraid of. Nobody, nobody is afraid of their sins. Just on Shtuyot. There is mercury. Wow, mercury. You know how many things you eat with mercury? Every salmon you eat has mercury in it. Do you know how many things seafood people eat with tons of mercury inside? Does it make a damage? Maybe. Do you really think that if you're righteous and Hashem wants you to live, the mercury will kill you? In the end, if you do what Hashem wants, you don't have to worry about nature too much. You don't have to. Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa came with his ankle into the snake, the arod. He put his ankle right by his face. And this, as this was a killer, a killer snake. Beat you, you finish. You have to run to the water. If not, you're dead. And he put him and he said, I want everyone to see. You don't die from the snake poison. You die from the sin. If you don't have sins, let the snake beat you 500 times. It won't affect you. You do not die from corona. You die from your sins. Or because you're old. Your time is finished. A lot of uh, important tzaddikim rabbis died in their 80s, some in their 90s. Without it, they would have to leave this year. So they, they got it and they left. They could have died from flu. They could have died going to sleep and now waking up in the morning. They can die from an allergy. You can die from a lot of things. Choking in bed. It can be a lot of things. Many tzaddikim, nobody would live forever. No one would live forever. So those in their 80s and their 90s, we have to assume one way or the other they will die anyway. Who we, we are focusing on? On the young people. Some young people in Israel also are in critical condition. Very young. Very young. Eight women pregnant, fighting for their life. One of them already lost the baby. Baby died. No heartbeat. From Corona. And uh, 40, almost 4,200 people in Israel died already. Almost 1,200 people in critical condition in hospitals. Almost 300 of them connected to machines they can't breathe. One nurse said if people would stand one hour and see how people are just trying to breathe. That's all. How, how difficult it is for them to breathe when they wait to get the machine because there's not enough. If they would one time see it, nobody would speak anymore. Vaccine, this, that. 
one picture, you will see how the people are fighting just to breathe, just to get another breath. We take it for granted, huh? For every breath we take, we have to sing to Hashem and praise Him for a million years. For every breath, if it was possible. But we take it for granted. Everything we take for granted. We always look at the negative. You look at this, you look at that, I lost here, I bought this stock, I lost. And how many stocks you bought and you made? 50 you made, 3 you lost. Why you focus on the 3? Why you don't talk non-stop about the 47 that you made? You bought one store and made you millions. You bought another two and they lost you money. But you still made millions. But you worry about the two. Why, Hashem? Why you did this to me? Look, two businesses, they all fail. What about the one that gave you millions and put you where you are today? A person has two or three kids. He wanted more. He's focusing on the fact that Hashem punished him and didn't give him more. How do you know? Maybe if you have another two or three kids, they will become big criminal drug addicts. Imagine this. It will ruin your entire life. In the end, we cried about things that we don't even know if they are good or bad. We don't even know. You cry for losing this girl for Shidduch. How do you know? Maybe she would be the poison of your life. You cry from losing this guy. How do you know? Because he's a tzaddik. He's the best in yeshiva. Yes, he is. But he would not be for you. Together, you never have kids. Is not your real shidduch. Why are you crying over it? People are crying for all kinds of things. I didn't get approved here. I didn't get the job. I got fired. I lost my license. All kinds of things that happen to people. If a person has a munah, solid, nothing will move an inch by you. When you make, when you lose, when you get a huge prize, when you get a huge punishment, it's all for Hashem. My job is to do everything I can to work and to become better. That's it. What's going to come, not come, I, I don't ask questions. Hashem said to Moshe Rabbeinu, Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, never question me. And I send you now to Paro, and Paro makes harder work for the Jews. Now you have to go and collect your own straw. And a minute later, you question me. From the minute you send me to Paro, the situation became worse. Because of that, you will never see the salvation with the seven kings. You will see salvation of one king, and the salvation of seven kings you will not see. Which one? The ones in Israel. Because you will never enter Israel. One sentence against Hashem, Moshe asked, you sent me to help, and it got worse? You didn't trust me that bad? You will not enter Israel. The question is, Avram, Avram asked questions against Hashem. Avram asked. Avram say, Akash Baruch Hu, you're going to kill the righteous with the wicked in Sodom? Ashofet kol haaretz lo yaseh mishpat? You're about to kill the wicked with the, with the righteous with the wicked? The judge of, of the whole world will not do a fair trial? So who had more questions to Hashem, Avram or Moshe? Avram is mamash the challenge. Is Khalila hinting that Hashem maybe is not a fair judge? He's about to kill the rabbi with the, with the pedophile at the same time. How can it be? Moshe cried for the Jewish nation. It wasn't for him. He's free. So Moshe should have got better than Avram, not less. But Hashem said to Moshe, Avram never dared to question me. 
The answer is, Rabotai, before something happens, you can challenge and ask and pray and ask questions from Hashem. Please don't do this. Please show me why. Everything is legit. Before. After it happened, you, you have to know for sure it was for good. Before, you don't know what's good or what's not, because you don't know what Hashem will do yet. So, based on your understanding, Hashem, please don't give me this. Hashem, please don't take this from me. Hashem, please don't give me that. Please do this. Please do that. That's based on your knowledge. Once Hashem did to you something and it looks horrible, wow, the worst out of all options. And somebody asks you what happened? No questions. Hashem did the best thing for me. Why? If it could have been better, it would do something else. That's the difference between Moshe and Avram. Avram said before, would you kill the righteous? Would you do such thing? Maybe there are enough righteous people to save the city. That's his job. He has to fight for them. After Hashem did, Avram never questioned again. After he killed all these millions of gays and, and thieves, Avram had no question after that. The questions were all before. Moshe asked the question after. Meaning, it was a lack of emunah. You're questioning me. I already told you I'm sending you to save the Jewish nation. I brought you from Midian all the way to Egypt. Do you really think I do half a job? Don't you have patience to wait another week to see how it's going to all turn out? I understand you care about them. I understand you speak from emotions. But in life, a kosher Jew must make his head win against his heart. If the heart will make the decision, you are finished. You have to know to stay away from the wicked, from the thieves. If you have a worker that's still from you, you have to get rid of him, even if he's your cousin, or even if he's your nephew. Why? Because you have to use the head, not the heart. You use the heart, the heart will bury you. All the people that eliminated their head and followed their heart, especially women, because by women it's all emotions, they usually pay a very heavy price. Why? Because the heart is a lot of infatuations, a lot of uh, illusions. The head, Torateno, it's all logic. It's all head. Clear. Cutting, cutting sharp. That's why you need Chachamim. Chacham, he can tell you a clear answer without mixing his emotions. You go to ordinary people, ordinary people speak from emotions. You can see by the vaccine how many people scream and cares. Because it's all emotions, no logic. But the Torah says, you have G'dolei Ador, and they say to get the vaccine. That's it. As a religious Jew, you should have known that second never to dare again to open your mouth in this subject. Every word you speak now against it is a big sin that will make you lose your olam you fool, if you did not lose it already. Because the Torah told you what is the end of people that speak against G'dolei Ador. They all lost their olam Don't you see it's a test? You know better than the G'dolei Ador. And even if G'dolei Ador made a mistake, the Torah told you if they tell you about left that is right, and about right that is left, you must listen to them. And if not, you deserve to die. That's what the Torah said. Unfortunately, when you're not educated, you'll use your emotions, your ego, your anger, your jealousy. You think you understand. 
you end up with nothing in the end. Chaval, people that were religious, 20 years, I told you last week what one of them sent me. I can swear that you got paid to endorse this vaccine. Got paid by whom exactly? To the best of my knowledge, the head of Pfizer doesn't know exactly who I am. I'm not exactly a person that, that affects 500 million people if to take the vaccine or not, with all due respect to me. There's much more important people in the world that he should pay them to endorse his vaccine. All these movie stars, all these fakers out there. Every NBA star, one like LeBron alone, will tell all his followers, get it or don't get it, that's already could be hundreds of millions of people. He needs me for that, to pay me, you fool. You're losing your alarm about with your stupidity in one email in a second, an ungrateful person, to the person who saved you and your family from who you used to be and got you to know Hashem and to become Shomer Shabbat, and you write such an email. Why? All ego. Ego and stupidity. Chaval. A lot of people already made themselves a huge damage. But it's not too late to do tshuva. To do tshuva. You publish in the same places where you spoke against them. I'm actually canceling my foolish opinion. I have no say. It, it's not relevant what I understand. The biggest rabbi in the world say what to do. And from this moment on, the argument is finished. Please don't send me any more videos about it. No more messages about it. That's it. And those of you, I said, if you thought that you know better, at least be quiet. If you would stand next to Rav Chaim Kanievsky when they ask him this question and he say everybody should get the vaccine, and you disagree in a room, would you dare to open your mouth in front of him? Kvod Arav, you're wrong. You have no idea what you're talking about. You're not a doctor. Would you believe what they showed you? Would you open up your mouth? I don't think so. Even if you be a doctor, you wouldn't open your mouth. Anyone would open his mouth, what do you think? In front of Rav Mazuz, in front of Rabbi Shalom Cohen, or Rav Yitzhak Yosef, or Rav Zilberstein, or Rav Sternbuch, all these big rabbanim, would open up his mouth? If Rav Eliashiv would say something, would you open up your mouth? If Chacham Ovadia would say something, you would open up your mouth? I had an uncle, Rav Ovadia Yosef gave a speech on Shabbat, in, uh, not on Shabbat, in a weekday. He spoke about elections in Israel. He said, do not dare to vote for a secular party, for the Israeli Knesset. Only to ultra-Orthodox. No one with crooked ideology and no wicked people. No secular Mechalelei Shabbat. Only if you're Ashkenazi, to Ashkenazim. If you're Sfaradi, to Sfaradim. Everyone with his tradition, but must be religious party. Who got up? My dear uncle, Allah Vajalom. He got up in front of 500 people. I heard it on the tape, driving on FDR Drive at 2 a.m. I didn't realize it's my uncle when I heard the tape. That's when I realized, wow, his voice is like my uncle. Then I asked my aunt. She told me, don't ask. He doesn't sleep already for two weeks since that lecture. He got up. He wasn't an evil person. Admire Avovadia, don't get me wrong. He wasn't like one of these lefties who does everything against the rabbi. Innocently, in front of everyone, he got up and he said, Kvod Arav, if someone vote for a religious party that anyway join the, the wicked people in the end to form a coalition, isn't it the same thing? 
that second his life was finished. He had to see how he was shouting at him. Shev Besheket Chatzuf, sit, you quiet, you, you, you arrogant. Chatzuf, how do you dare to open your mouth? Follow everyone. He said, no, Kvodarav, I just wanted to ask a question. Don't ask question. It never happened in history, such thing. How he was screaming at him. And then he was begging him, Kvodarav, I didn't mean, please forgive me. In the end of the lecture, he said, now let me answer the question that this Chatzuf asked. <laughs> he answered his question, and then my uncle, Arav Shalom, was crying out, out after the lecture, coming, begging him, Kvodarav, please don't get angry, I didn't mean. Machul lecha, I forgave you already. Every day he was going to his office in his home. Kvodarav, I came to ask Mechila. How many times? I told you I forgave you. <laughs> Two months later he passed. Young. He wasn't even 60-something. That was the end of it, Rabotai. People think they're smart, disrespecting Talmidei Chachamim. It's written in the Talmud, someone that embarrasses a Talmid Chacham, and today it's very common on the internet, En There is no cure to the punch that Hashem will give him. No cure. And refuale makato, no doctor, no surgery, nothing will help him. And refuale makato. Even if he came a thousand times to the Chacham, and the Chacham still did not forgive him, he still have to keep coming and coming and coming. And there's no other way, otherwise he lost his Olam Abba. Nothing will help him. But he was Shomer Shabbat 60 years, won't help him. Was big balts won't help him. Put fill in every day, coming to Minyan three times a day. But the Chacham, I explained last Monday, when a Chacham put person in Nidui, he put a person in Nidui, he's finished, that's it. Because somebody, Rav Ovadia, put him in Nidui, came to Rav Eliashim and Rav Bezalel Jolti, the two big rabbi in Israel. As soon as they heard Rav Ovadia put him in Nidui, get out, get out, we're not allowed to stand next to you. You menudeh. People that have in their dream that from Shamaim they told him you benidui, you're in isolation. In, in a dream, they have to make a special ceremony out of this. Nidui, Nidui, like the word nida. Same thing, a woman is nida, she cannot be in contact until she goes to the mikveh. That's called nidui. Cannot say hello to him, cannot count him in a minyan, cannot let him enter the shul. He's getting married and not allowed to go. No one is allowed to marry him. Can't accept his children to yeshiva. Terrible, Rabotai. Why? Because Hashem wanted people to respect the Chachamim. Ledovkabo, le'avait Hashem, ledovkabo, to love God and be attached to Him. The Gemara says, how can you be attached to God? You will burn in a second. The Gemara answers, you don't need to be attached to Hashem and die. You have to be attached to the Chachamim. If you attach to the Chachamim and respect the Chachamim, it's count like you glued to Hashem. No isolation, no obstacle. Someone who respects Talmidei Chachamim, his son-in-laws will be Talmidei Chachamim. Someone that gives money to the Chachamim. The Gemara used an expression, pour wine into their mouth, meaning wine was very expensive in the old days, it was all handmade. Someone who sponsored the Chachamim, his children will become Talmidei Chachamim. The Gemara gives hundreds of examples. 
Someone that sees someone insulting a Talmud Chacham and he doesn't protest, Chaz Shalom, he himself can get a huge punishment just for that, for did not get up and scream. And the Gemara is full of hundreds of examples. Hundreds of examples. Maybe one time I'll make a lecture, two hours of all these examples from A to Z. What does it mean to risk your life by speaking not properly to someone that is a big scholar of Torah? How much you can lose from one minute of stupidity? Chaz Shalom, I'm not even talking behind his back when you ruin his reputation, make up stories, and all kinds <laughs> Here we're talking, you know, arrogance. Bezrat Hashem, we have to pray to Hashem and cry that will give us wisdom. Because most of these things come from stupidity. The pure for stupidity is to learn a lot of Torah. And to beg the one that owned the wisdom to share with his wisdom to us. The one who owns the chokhmah, to share this divine wisdom to us. When you have divine wisdom, it saves you from a lot of problems. It makes you see things. It makes you look into the future and see where the end of the process would be. It gives you always to give the good advice to people. Some people, you know, whenever they give you an advice, you have nothing ever to worry about. This uncle of mine, Alava Shalom, was working for Amco refrigerators. He was breeding fiberglass. You know this Amcor, they used to make it with fiberglass. It was an Israeli refrigerator. When he was uh, close to 60, he was supposed to get his pension after working there for 40 years. He's supposed to retire. He came to Rav Ben Zion, Abba Shaul, and he said to him, Rabbi, I'm, I'm about to get 200,000 lirot. Well, similar to $200,000 today after 40 years, pension. I would like to buy a house, but I don't know. If I'll buy the house in Ramle, I can pay it in full. But if I buy a house in Yerushalayim, I can only pay for half of the house and I will need to take a mortgage, but I will be already an older person without a job. So what should I do? Rav Ben Zion told him, when are you supposed to get the money? He told him in two months. Gave him a date. So he told him, when you have the money in your hand, come back to me and ask this question. I don't have to tell you what, my uncle almost dropped dead. Ma? He thought he already see that he may not get the money. He said to him, why, why, Kvodo, you see something that you're not telling me? Why, they're going to give me a problem? He said, no, no. When you get the money and you actually come and ask me, then Hashem will show me what to rule to you. Right now, it's not halakha lemaaseh, it's hypothetically speaking. When it will become official question, then Hashem will show me what to tell you. You understand? Because generally, theoretically, he could have given him the answer there. And in the end, he told him to move to Yerushalayim. And thanks to that, his son is one of the biggest chachamim in the world. Why? Because when they moved to Yerushalayim, his son went to learn with who? With Rav Ben Zion. <laughs> And he raised him to become one of the biggest Chachamim. Imagine if he would stay in Ramle. What would come out of Ramle? <laughs> Did you ever hear about Gdol Olam that came from Ramle? No. From Yerushalayim, you hear. So it's all 
a chain reaction. That's called to be attached to Chachamim. I can give you hundreds of stories that he told me about Chacham Ben Zion over the years. He even wrote a diary about it. Maybe one day we'll have permission to publish it. Bezrat Hashem. Until then, we'll see you tomorrow in Brooklyn, 8 o'clock, 2286, Coney Island Avenue, between S&T. Baruch Adonai Amen Amen. Rabbi Hananiah Ben Akashiyam.